Are you ready? This is Moffat on the Mic on the A1 Sports Network. Bow to the masters. Break it down. How you doing, everybody? And welcome to the Moffat on the Mic radio show. We are live, as always, on a Monday night, courtesy of the A1 Sports Network. I am Craig Moffat, and of course, this show would not be complete without the production stylings of the fantastical Christian, got it right this time, <laughs> Klimazuski. What's up, Craig? So we're pretty psyched up as you know, this is the first time we've actually done this. We are joining forces with another show on the A1 Sports Network. We're going to be talking to Eric and Nick from the Top Pair Podcast. This is a straight up hockey show today, folks. So if you want, comment below on Clem's A1 A1 feed with any questions, comments, uh, whatever you want. Uh, we'll try to get into everything we possibly can. They're going to be joining us in about 15 minutes, probably around 8.30ish or so, maybe even sooner. But we got a lot to talk about, uh, a lot of surprises going on. Uh, the Canadians up 3 nothing on the Winnipeg Jets. Beat the piss out of them yesterday, man. Oh, my um, God. You know, dude, call me crazy, man, but I think Carey Price is one of the most underrated goalies of all time. I mean, He's nobody so talks good. about you, him, dude. Nobody you, talks about him. You watch him play – like a game and he, he it's, it's like a stone wall like he's just he makes incredible saves left and right yeah. he's, he's a great commander of the defense he's so good he's so yeah. good uh we're going to get into all that stuff we're going to get into we're going to talk to these guys talk to uh, eric and nick about the rangers i want to get into i want to get their thoughts on you know you said nick was a sabers fan i think so yes okay so we'll clear the air when they come on and uh, we'll talk about the Rangers. We'll talk about everything going on in the NHL playoffs. Been really, really exciting stuff going on. You know, Islanders and Bruins series tied at two-two. Uh, Montreal is one game away from going to the West to the uh, conference finals. Um, if they beat Winnipeg, I think it's tomorrow night in Montreal. Um, we're going to get into. I've been really following the Vegas Colorado series. That's actually been Definitely. really good. You know, that's been fun really to watch. Really yeah, I mean that. That just. I mean. Uh, we, we talked about it a little bit last week and like you really see the difference when there's fans in the crowd. Oh yeah. I mean, you really get that impact of how good the games have been when you see the fans with the rally towels and all that stuff, you know, that's the type of shit you love. And that's what you've missed the most about sports in general. You know, don't get me wrong. The bubble dev last year definitely gave us like a nice reprieve from everything. And mm-hmm. just to kind of keep our minds off everything going on with COVID at the time. But now that things are slowly coming back to normal and now you're getting fans in the seats and everything like that, I mean, it's just going to be, it's going to make it so much more exciting, especially, you know, when we get to football season and baseball season, the Mets are going to start adding more people. The Yankees are going to start adding more people soon. So those are the types of things, but man, when you watch hockey playoffs, the hits, you know, and everything and the crowd reactions, everything, it's so fucking awesome. There's not, there's not, I'll say it, as much as you know I love football and I love baseball. There's nothing better than NHL playoffs. Doesn't matter what team you're even rooting for. You know it could be the Islanders, it could be the the Sabers, it could be the the Avalanche, it could be the Jets. Who does not matter. You will find the most passionate sports fans in the world when it comes to their hockey team. No matter what team it is, it, it's, it's, it's insane. 
And the thing about hockey is, you know, you and I could both agree it's kind of a niche market. You know, like not everybody loves hockey because it's not really talked about in, in circles the way that basketball is talked about or football or baseball. You know, if you listen to sports radio or anything like that, it only appeals to a certain fan base. And that fan base, more times than not, is very rapid. Oh, yeah. They love hockey. They grew up on the sport. They grew up with their, you know, their parents being fans of teams. My dad has been an Islander fan for forever. He was at one of the games where they won the Stanley Cup. He was at the game where Nystrom scored the goal in overtime. You know, he was at that game. So, I mean, I've been through it all as an Islander fan with Milbury and just how awful they were through, you know, the end of the 90s into 2000 when they got Yashin, they got Pekka. Yashin was a major disappointment. Pekka, I was like, Pekka was actually a pretty decent Islander. That was the first player I ever, uh, ever liked on the Islanders was Mike Pekka. See, but I always said, like, one of my favorite Islanders of all time, and I was so glad when they got him at the time, was Miro Shatan. Oh. I loved Miro Shatan. He was one of my favorite Islanders. Like, And when they got him from the Sabres, I was so fucking happy when they signed him. But uh, So we're going to get into talking to them very soon. They're going to be on in about 10 minutes. Uh, we're going to try to squeeze in a, co- like a couple of topics before we uh, get going with them. Um, so just a really quick recap of things that went on over the weekend. Mets split the series with the Padres. It was a really strong end to the weekend with Lindor. Uh, McCann has definitely been on a tear. And, you know, they get solid outings out of DeGrom on Saturday and Stroman on Sunday. To be honest, I didn't think the Mets starting pitching was bad the whole series. Lucchese pitched pretty well on Friday. They just couldn't hit. And Walker didn't pitch too bad, though. He was a little bit crazy with his control. He only wanted to go on five innings. But... You know, the key to that series was, especially a tough team like San Diego, a lot of people project them to be, could be the NL West, you know, division winners. You know, some even have them projected for the World Series this year. Going into San Diego and getting two out of four, I'm good with. Yeah. And okay. you got, got the wins from the guys you need to get wins. You got it from DeGrom and you got it from Stroman. You know, yeah. So when those two guys go go get on the mound, you have you have to win games. There's, there's no other if ands or buts about it. And I think the Mets really have to start thinking about making Marcus Stroman a possibility for their future plans. Because oh, with injury to Noah Syndergaard right now, we don't even know if he's going to return this year. You know, I think you know you could bring him back on like a Kluber type of deal, like a one year, like ten million dollar deal, if you know, to see how he comes back from Tommy John, unless another team offers him more years, of course. But Strowman really should be considered. He's earned it. The one thing that worries me about Strowman is, again, this is a contract year. And he's only playing on a one-year qualifying offer. And I have to take that into consideration before I negotiate any type of deal with him. No, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and especially, especially when we have to sign back guys like Conforto, mm-hmm. Nimmo eventually, McNeil eventually, Pete Alonso down the road, Dom Smith yeah. down the road, you know, guys like that, you know. And, you know, lucky enough, we have Carrasco here for two years. So maybe he pitches mid-July. We'll see him this the end of the year this year and then all of next year. Syndergaard, we don't, I don't know what we're going to do with Syndergaard because – I mean, listen, you, Syndergaard is a, is a tricky situation because you could offer him the qualifying offer, but he's not worth it. He's not worth right. $18, $20 million next year because, again, he's pitching. He's, he's missed the – he's going to miss at least 85% of the season. Mm-hmm. and Carrasco will be back next year. He's already under contract. So you don't have to worry about him. You all, of course, you have DeGrom. I don't know what to make of David Peterson right now. He's been very – he's kind of been all over the place. 
to the point where if I'm the Mets, I skip him his next start. I don't think I pitch him. I think I would go with Lucchese. I think Lucchese started to figure it out a little bit more. He yeah, looked really well the other night in San Diego. I thought that was a really strong outing from him, even though he only went like four and a third, but that's okay. You know, you didn't really need him. You know, you're not really, he's not a guy you were expecting to carry like a seven, eight inning load workload with. And you know, you have a guy like Gazelman that can pick him up for a couple of innings if need be. Right. But it's kind of important. The Mets need to start thinking about the possibility of Marcus Stroman being a permanent fixture in this rotation for the next five or six years. No, definitely. Especially like you mentioned, you know, we don't know what we're going to do with uh, Syndergaard. Mm -hmm. Carrasco is really the only guarantee coming back to the roster next year because we lose, we lose Walker if we don't sign back Walker. Well, Walker's a member. Walker has another year. Oh, he does have two. We gave him a two year deal. Oh, I like He's back next year. So that's fine. So, you know, you right now you're looking at a rotation of next year being DeGrom, Carrasco, Walker, um, Peterson, if he fixed, if he shapes up, and then we'll see how the fifth starter goes for next year. They could bring back Syndergaard if they really want to. But again, you know, you, you should consider Marcus Stroman right now because whether you want to believe it or not, he's earned it. Yeah, he's definitely earned it. Definitely. Um, another guy who I just kind of, you know, they just acquired recently that I think has been a great pickup for them is Billy McKinney. Oh my God. He's been great. He's been very, he's, he's definitely been hitting the cover off the ball. Even the stuff that he gets out is hit hard. And I mean, overall, he's been a pretty good pickup for a really, you know, they didn't really give up a lot to get him. but overall you're very pleased with how the Mets ended this road trip. They take three out of four from Arizona and then, or they take two out of three from Arizona and they split the Padre series. They have a day off today, tomorrow night, they go play. Uh, they, they do two in Baltimore Wednesday, Harvey's pitching. So we have another Harvey day. And the Orioles got got a major blow when John John Means is out for the is out. He's on the IL. He's their best starter. So there's that. As for the Yankees, bless you. Oh, thank you. Sorry. Yankee Yankees get swept by Boston um, over the weekend. Uh, you know, um, the one thing I'll say in the Yankees' defense was that strike on Ruffnet Odor was a disaster. Yeah. And I'm telling you right now, Manfred has a big problem because a lot of these these players are starting to get really pissed with the strike, with the umpiring and the umpiring has been fucking brutal. It has been, you know, I was watching even, even the Mets game the other night when DeGrom was pitching DeGrom threw a clear ball to someone and they called it a strike. And I was like, I mean, I was like, I was happy because he called it a strike, but I was like, Ooh, that was a little, a little bit too outside. It wasn't even like close to like him framing it. I, I was just like, wow. But the thing is with the Yankees right now is, man, I just don't – I don't know what they have. I don't know – like, this team seems like they're missing something. There's something missing on this roster. I know they went pretty much status quo from last year, you know, added a couple of play pieces like Jamison Tyon and Corey Kluber. Now you got Kluber out for two months until August. The guys aren't hitting. Stanton has been a disaster since he came back from the IL. Mm-hmm. Frazier is still hitting under 200. Andujar is hitting under 200. Glaber's only at about 250 right now. Your best hitter on the team, I mean, to really the surprise of no one, is Aaron Judge. But this team should be better. Yeah. You cannot allow yourself to get swept by the Boston Red Sox. No, again, like the the Red Sox are playing amazing baseball right now. But you're the New York Yankees. Like you you built this roster where it was like, okay, like they're stacked one through nine in the lineup with Judge. DJ Mayhew was coming off at a career, the career past two years. And he, he's been terrible. He, he hasn't been good this year. Glaber Torres has definitely fallen off. It's like, what the hell happened to this guy? 
And then you have an aging Brett Gardner who shouldn't really expect much. Luke I mean, Boyd, that, though, yo, Hicks. Hicks is out for the season again. I mean, that's got to be frustrating for Yankee fans in general. And the thing is, right now, Cashman's back is to the wall a little bit because he needs a spark, but he knows if he has to go out and get a spark, he's going to have to give up a lot. Yeah. And that's where Cashman kind of hit a wall. And now there's six and a half back of Tampa for first place. Now, look, you never count the Yankees out. So let's just let's clear that up right now. I'm not saying the season's over for them by any stretch because this is a team that can easily go on a 10-game winning streak and get right back into it. Right. Okay. That's what the season is, ebbs and flows. And that's exactly what you could see with the Yankees. The Yankees right now are hitting, are really on the downward spiral, but it's only a matter of time before they pick themselves back up. And there's, so there's that. But now you have a day off today. Tomorrow you play the Twins, a team you've notoriously crushed, a team that has been really bad this year, has been really, really disappointing. Now you got Donaldson calling out Garrett Cole for, you know, for foreign substances on, on, on a, you know, when he pitches, I don't, you know, we don't know if that's true or not. So we're not going to speculate. And then after that, you know, you want to pull for the Yankees over the weekend because the Yankees go to Philly and play the Phillies. Yeah, so, no, speaking of, uh, you know, the foreign substance, did you see uh, the Mets, all the Mets players defend Jacob DeGrom? Yeah, like, some so stupid much- kid, some stupid Dodger fan started some shit about DeGrom and used like, some video of him like touching his belt buckle or some shit like that. I mean, give me a break. No, I just loved it because they were all the all the guys on the Mets were just like he's not. But can you imagine what he would be pitching if he was? <laughs> yeah, I know like, he would be. He he'd probably throw a no hitter every game. Oh my gosh! So uh, the last thing I want to get into before the top pair guys get on here is um, last night's ridiculous Floyd Mayweather fight against uh, Logan Paul. Um, listen, we knew exactly what it was going to be. It was going to be a complete waste of time, and we were right because that's exactly what it was. At one point, Floyd Mayweather hit him, and he fell, and Mayweather held him up so he wouldn't hit the ground because it was in, like, the second or third round, okay? It was – Here's the one thing I'm going to say about these fights, okay? How can I put this bluntly? Boxing, like hockey, is a niche sport. It only has a very select fan base. Those people are hardcore boxing fans, though. They're not people who just stumble into it. Celebrities go to boxing matches because they fucking have millions of dollars and they could sit ringside, you know, however they want. Right. They have no interest in boxing whatsoever. They just want to look good in front and know that they basically give the middle finger to all the people sitting in the upper deck saying, yeah, I hate boxing, but I can afford to sit ringside and you assholes can't. Okay. So that being said, the problem with these exhibition fights is every time one takes place, boxing's credibility takes a major hit. Mm-hmm. okay it started with mayweather against mcgregor then it was mayweather talking shit about a fight with Khabib. then it was mayweather fighting some fucking japanese kickboxer okay when you put a guy like mayweather who everybody says is the pound for pound greatest of all time which i think is a load of shit but whoever okay the fact is every time a guy he gets into a ring with a guy who has no experience fighting a real fighter who has, you know, been on a few YouTube videos and everything, it makes him look like shit. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is he doesn't care. Like, he doesn't care. He just wants to collect the money. Yeah. And I always question why a guy like Floyd Mayweather Mayweather would just take the money and run like that. Okay? Like, why would you risk going into the ring and making that kind of money when you could risk getting knocked out by a guy on fucking YouTube? Okay? 
maybe there's financial things we don't know about Mayweather. I mean, we, we know athletes are some of the worst investors of all time. But every time you take a fight like that, now a perfect example of what I'm talking about, I didn't even know this, but apparently Chad Ochocinco was on the card. Yes, he was. And he got knocked down twice in his fight. After the fight's over, he calls out Conor McGregor. You see what I mean? It's like Chad Ochocinco has no business being in a boxing ring. And what scares me is with the sport of boxing, because long gone, everybody's going to forget about guys like Canelo, Triple G, Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder. You know, Fury and Wilder have had some freaking amazing. Oh, my God. Great fights. Great, great fights, man. And those are the type of people you should be putting, you, you know, boxing on the, on the back, you know, on these, on these guys' backs. But every time it's some gimmicky fight, the first guy that comes up is Floyd Mayweather. He's got no problem taking a check for $20 million to fight this guy. Exactly. Okay. He, even came in, he even came out and said, I'm a legal, I'm a legal bank robber. Does he know Clint, what he's doing? He's not an idiot. Clint, he's fighting the guy. People are going to f- buy this fight, and that's exactly what he does this for. He does it for the money. He's fighting a guy 30 pounds heavier. Then Logan Paul was at 189. I think uh, Mayweather was 155. He actually put on weight for this fight. Okay. And the thing is, every time you see a fight like this happen, it's killing the credibility of boxing. It's not, it no, it's not interesting, but people buy this shit up because they're buying for a fucking YouTube star. This is why guys like Logan, Logan Paul makes money doing absolutely nothing. He knocked out Nate Robinson. Everybody went crazy about it. And now all of a sudden he thinks he's Mike Tyson. So he gets in the ring with Mayweather, a guy who completely outclassed him. I mean, let's call it what it was. The fight was pure bullshit. There was no judge. There was no winner. There was no nothing. But I hate this type of thing. This is what's killing. It was bad enough that MMA was putting a dent in boxing. Now, basically, boxing has become a bit of a like a sideshow. Because you know what it is like these these people they know. It, it's how do I say it? It's like um. People will watch it just because they want to see someone get beat up. No one likes the Paul brothers, and I think I think they both know that. So it's obviously, yeah, they call out someone, easy paycheck, easy payday for them. And they know that. I was watching it with my brother last night. We didn't pay for them. We didn't pay for it. I was watching it from, with my brother last night. And I told him, I was like, this is a win-win for Logan Paul. He was like, how do you say so? I was like, see, he gets knocked out. Gets knocked out, okay? He goes up to the, the press conference after. You know, it's Floyd Mayweather. got knocked out. What could I do? All right. He goes the distance like he did. He says, I went the distance. I went eight rounds with the greatest pound-for-pound boxer of all time. I'm Logan Paul. I'm ready for your next challenge. And I just, I, and I just made bang doing it. Yeah. The win-win the, thing is, the guy does absolutely nothing. It's just for people. He has a huge following on YouTube and Instagram and all this stuff. So all he has to do is just get in the ring, and everybody's going to buy his pay-per-views. Right. And that's the sad part about boxing, because it's taking away from guys like Canelo, Triple G, you know, again, um, Anthony, Anthony Joshua. Um, Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. Those are the big, those are the big door. Errol Spence is another one. So it, it's just gotten so sad that every time now somebody wants to get in the ring, the first guy they think about, they think about is Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather, I think is 48, 49 years old right now. Some, I think he's like, yeah, somewhere in his forties. Yeah. But he's also a guy, in my opinion, that he doesn't care. He just wants to make money. Right. And he's not ashamed to admit it. So listen, he's a decent businessman. I don't know how he is an investor. I mean, but I always question when these guys take crazy amounts of these fights for no reason whatsoever. But 
it's just sad. It's just absolutely sad. And I rarely agree with Stephen A. Smith on anything, but I agreed with him 100%. And that was, it's killing boxing, these types of exhibition fights. Because nowadays it's going to come down to this. Any pro athlete that has ever taken a cardio kickboxing class or trains by using boxing, getting in the ring and sparring and all that stuff, is going to think they can go toe-to-toe with Logan Paul, go toe-to-toe with Conor McGregor. And that's the sad part about it is they can't. And you see how overmatched they are. Yeah. You see how guys like Ocho Cinco are overmatched. It was like when CM Punk went to MMA. He was terribly overmatched. Oh, so bad. Okay. I mean, yeah, there were a few exceptions, of course, guys like Bobby Lashley, Brock Lesnar, you know, they were, they were fine in MMA. CM Punk went the MMA round. He got his ass kicked bad. I mean, and those are the, and again, I used to be a huge, I used to watch boxing with some real hardcore boxing fans. And I'm talking about guy, you know, watching fights with, you know, De La Hoya in his prime, Macho Camacho in his prime, you know, Tyson and, you know, uh, Lennox Lewis, you know, just to name a few guys off the top of my head. Okay. These are hard. You, can you imagine hardcore boxing fans watching that shit last night? Yeah, no, they were like, I bet you they watched it just because they were like, it's boxing, let's watch it. But I'm watching it. I, I like, I was talking to my dad. My dad is a big boxing fan, and like, he, he would tell me about all these guys back in the day who used to box. And I would go up, go in and watch their like YouTube video. I'm like, these guys were fucking solid. And I think we should table this for later as Eric and Nick are both here. All right, let's do it. All right, joining us right now, this is our first crossover show on the A1 Sports Network. We are now joined. This is Straight Up Hockey Talk right here, talking with Eric and Nick from the Top Pair Podcast. Guys, what's going on? Well, I'm glad you kind of had me join a little late because I just screamed pretty loud on that Brock Nelson 5-2 goal. So (laughs) uh, we're feeling pretty good right now. Good, good. That's good to hear. Uh, thanks for coming on, guys. I, like I said, I owned the playoff game. I told Clint we could table this if he wanted, but he said, damn it, the show must go on. <laughs> so, um, all right. So for, we'll talk about the Islanders. We don't need to talk about the Islanders too much because obviously, I mean, they're pretty much – they're making us pretty happy for the most part. But let me get your thoughts on what happened with the Rangers, with the whole firing of Davidson, firing of Gordon, Dolan basically messing with the Rangers because he can't mess with the Knicks. And in your opinion, who the next coach is going to be? So, Nikki, you want to handle that? Are you here? Maybe he's not. Thought I saw him. <laughs> anyway, so for me, it was just Dolan's going to Dolan. I mean, the Knicks were going too well, so he's got to, you know, you can't have two functioning fan, uh, franchises at once. Um, for me, I kind of expect them to kind of go with another retread guy. Since they're – I think they're pretty close. They're just maybe like a guy or two away. Mm-hmm. Um, and may, being able to be a serious playoff contender. So I think a guy like Gerard Gallant, who coached Florida and Vegas, I think a guy like um, maybe even Tortorello, which I think would be hilarious. But I think my pick would be for a guy like Gerard Gallant, somebody who's, you know, he took uh, Vegas to the Stanley Cup final in their first season. It was kind of a weird way that he got fired there. Right. Um, he's going to be, you know, highly coveted by a couple teams that are going to be looking for coaches. So, my look is, uh, I'm thinking Gerard Gallant for sure. Right. There he is. Nick is here. What's, what's well, up, guys? Sorry, having some internet issues today. Uh, it's all good. Well, from the last, we're just talking about the Rangers actually right now. We're talking about the, 
what you know firing Davidson, firing Gordon, who the coach is going to be. Because the last I heard was they have a set. They had a, they did a second interview with Tockett. Tockett to me seems like a weird choice for a young team, but I also know he works with a lot of young players, like he did in Arizona. That's Nick's guy. Go ahead, Nicky, take him. <laughs> yeah, Rick, I think Rick Tockett checks a lot of boxes that somebody like Chris Jury would really like. I think with him being an assistant coach in Pittsburgh for so long. He understands how to work with egos with guys like Malkin and Crosby. And, you know, then all of a sudden he gets the head coaching job and literally everything in Arizona has gone completely wrong, right? Like you trade for Taylor Hall, um, you lose Taylor Hall, your best player and arguably in franchise history, OEL demands a trade. And I, I think him, him leaving Arizona was more of just like a neutral, like, all right, I can't stand this crap anymore, especially with, you know, they lose their first and second round draft pick this year, last year. And it's, it's just, it's just one of those situations I think he wanted to get away from. I think, I think if he doesn't get the, the Rangers job, I think he's a prime candidate for Seattle too. I think him and him and Ron Francis have a really good relationship, but he, he's just one of those dudes that he just checks a lot of boxes. And I think getting that head coaching experience, being in a place where it was kind of miserable for him too. He's going to be, he's going to really take his time. I think and make, make the decision that's best for him. Now with, with the Rangers, do you guys think like, because now obviously Dolan has some sort of foot in the door with what's going on with the Rangers front office. Do you see him doing like what he kind of did with the Knicks and trading guys left and right to get that superstar player here? Like he did with Carmelo. Um, I don't, I really don't think so. I mean, if he does, he's, he's dumber than I thought. He's kind of always been like, um, with the Rangers, he was always hands off. He was kind of just like a fan. And with the Knicks, he was always, you know, it was too many cooks in the kitchen with the Knicks because he was always involved. So I, I don't think he will. I think Drury's been groomed for this job for a while. Nick, I know, Nick, I know agrees with me on that. Um, this might've just been a, it, it all stemmed from that, that Washington debacle that happened where, you know, John Davidson and Jeff Gordon, both of them kind of distanced themselves from that statement that he made. Cause that's like the least hockey guy move ever to criticize the player safety, the referees, whatever it was. And he was kind of already look, looking to move on from them anyway. So this kind of just gave him, you know, an excuse to get rid of him because they didn't have his back. So, but I don't think he will with Drury. I think he's, I mean, he'll never learn his lesson, but I just, I don't think he's really, I think he knows he's not smart enough to make a move like that. Yeah, yeah, and on a certain level too, it was like with with Drury, it was a really awkward situation because it was like use them or lose them, right? Like every single GM opening, there were teams that were saying, We want to interview Chris. We want to interview Chris. Like since he retired, Drury has always had his name in the hat of, of a guy who wants to be a future GM in the league. And so with with the Gordon thing, I mean, part of it might have just been like, you know, someone's gonna snatch this guy sooner or later. Pittsburgh tried to interview him during the season when they fired uh, Erwin Jim Rutherford stepped down. Um, I know he was in the mix for, for the Minnesota job this past year as well. So I, I, I don't really, it's, it'd be really shocking to me to see him be like, you know, Hey, Chris, we, we need to like, you know, I'm going to meddle in this now, even though I know I've been kind of the distant guy in the past, he is a young guy. So I think they should hire some sort of experienced GM or a guy who's really good with the seller cap situation because they're going to have a lot of young talent to sign in the next couple of years. But I don't, I don't see, and again, I, I'm not a Dolan guy. I only get to hear Eric complain about him mostly, but <laughs> I would be very, very hard pressed to see him stick his hand in an organization that he traditionally has kind of stayed out of. 
complain is putting it lightly. <laughs> <laughs> now, one of the things that I have, I have this weird prediction with the offseason because now, it's like, I, like we just said, since Dolan can't mess with the Knicks, he's going to just screw with the Rangers. And I think he's going to, tr- he might try to break up that young core. Um, do you think it's likely he makes a push for Jack Eichel? Oh, Nick, you should handle that one. <laughs> you poor guy. I mean, I, I could see it. I, I really could. I think, I think he probably wants to be more in the win now window. Mm-hmm. I would say this, that you have to be very, very careful with what you're getting first with the injury right to Eichel. I mean, there's been a lot of documentation about the Sabres communication about, you know, with this injury and his fusions and stuff. Um, there's, there's never been a documented player coming back from this type of injury, right, with his neck, and especially anywhere in a contact sport like this, you have to be careful with it. Do I think he would fit there? Absolutely. I mean, who wouldn't love somebody like Jack Eichel? But I also say that, you know, with the cap being where it is and, and the financials of the league not really going to be able to go up much and you already have a ton of talent, to me it just makes more sense to kind of stay the course, right? Like Savannah Jazz is going to need another deal in a couple of years. You're going to have guys like Fox, Miller, who are going to be up in another two years. You know, you have your goalie of the future. Like to me it, was, it, it just makes more sense to say like just stay the course. Like you got – like the Rangers have enough talent to kind of keep this going. You know, it's just going to be one of those things where – they're going to kind of have to handle their bumps and bruises and their learning experiences over the next few years. But could I see them going for Eichel and making that trade? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think they have a lot of young talent that even from the Sabres perspective, you have to be honest with yourself and say, Hey, you know, these would be really good pieces for us, but I don't know if that makes quite as much sense as them just saying, Hey, we got our, we got where we are because of how well we've drafted and how well we've developed. Like, let's just keep going at this thing. You know, when, like Craig just mentioned, you know, with Jack Eichel, maybe it's not the Rangers, but considering, you know, they have the the first overall pick this year in the 2021 draft and they're kind of on a rebuild. Do you see the Sabres trading Jack Eichel to any team in the NHL? I, I think so. I think 100 percent that that bridge has been broken. I don't think anytime, especially as like any athlete, like when you're when you're dealing with your injury and, and you're dealing with your body and, you know, you feel like you're going down the right path and, and that trust gets broken between you and a team doctor. Like, I think, I don't think there's anything going back to that. I do think that like this time next year, maybe it's a draft day move or maybe it's a move that they make right before next off, right before next season. I, I do think so. But to me, like, I'm kind of looking at, you know, who are those teams where they're maybe a piece away or they're trying to extend like their window, right? Like I look at a team like the Kings who had the second overall pick last year, a really good young center in Quinton Byfield, you know, maybe a team like Minnesota, where you trade Joel Erickson and one of their young defensemen for, for Eichel and a pick, um, you know, maybe even a team like Boston that they just did a deal with. And I know Craig Adams and, and Don Sweeney have a good relationship going back to Craig's first days trying to be in the front office position. Um, but it, I, I think that bridge is hundred percent broken. I don't see Eichel being a saver next year. Nick, you stole my point. I was going to, the Kings are like my, they're <laughs> like my go-to for them because they got those big contracts, the Dowdy contract, you know, Kopitar is getting up a little up in age and, you know, those, those cup teams seem like it's a long time ago, but they can still, they were a little better this year. You know, there's some young talent that's coming up. Cal Peterson has been really good for them in net. Um, you know, I think they're maybe one or two guys away, but if you bring in a guy like Jack Eichel, I mean, that's that kind of, that window is all of a sudden it might be open again. Um, okay. In your opinion, 
which has been the most disappointing franchise over the last few years, the Oilers or the Maple Leafs? <laughs> yes. Can I say just yes to both? <laughs> I mean, um, for me, I mean, I don't even know who, it's just like equally disappointing. Like, just because you go, the names that you can list off on both teams, like obviously McDavid and Dreitzeidel and Edmonton, you know, Matthews, Marner, Tavares, Nylander, you know, the list goes on. And these guys, they just like, they can't get out of their own way. I mean, there is no reason, no reason at all that Toronto should have lost this series to Montreal mm -hmm. and especially blow a 3-1 lead in the way that they, the way that they did. I mean, I, I, I'm assuming that for both of those teams are, you know, proud franchises, proud fan bases, you know, Nick and I have our opinions on the Toronto fan base, but I mean, it's just, it, it doesn't really make any sense to me that these guys with how great they are, that they can't find a way to at least win a round. Like where do they go from here though? Because obviously they've been eliminated the last two seasons in the first round with Tavares hurt, but to, even without Tavares, you still have Marner, you still have Nylander, you still have Austin Matthews, but like, where do they go from here today? Well, those guys you just said, they disappeared. Like, Marner and Matthews. Like Marner Matthews, didn't I didn't even see. I, I barely saw his name on the score sheet in, like, in any of the games. I mean, There wasn't a lot to see. I mean, I think he had four <laughs> points. I know Matthews had one goal. I mean, it, it, for those guys, I think they make a combined, like, $22 million in a flat cap league. I mean, you're not going to – with if you're going to – their whole thing was they're going to pay these forwards all this money. They're going to outscore you. But then you get into the playoffs and, you know, the game, it gets so tight. You know, they're not, these games aren't one, five, four, six, five anymore. Yeah. So, you know, these teams know how to shut them down. They get, they ran into a hot goaltender and, you know, they're playing golf right now. I also, Austin Maddox probably played a nice game in Scottsdale today. So it's like, you know, they got, they got nothing really. And I don't know, I don't know where they go. They kind of have no choice, but to kind of run it back in Toronto. Yeah. Unless they make a move, like they trade a guy like Nylander or, I don't know, even like a Morgan Riley or somebody like that, but it's just, it's, I've, I've never seen anything like it with the two franchises with the greatness that they have. Like I always say Connor McDavid is the Mike Trout of, of the NHL because he's so great. And the team is just doesn't matter because they're out, they're either out in one or they're not even in. Edmonton has had so many like tie draft picks where you, besides McDavid, you talk about Nugent Hopkins and, even when they had Dreisaitl and uh, Pujolari, which I think was another one. Once upon a time, Taylor Hall, too. And it yeah. was just – Oh, I mean, yeah. I, I just wow. – and even – and I know they had Yakupov, but he turned out to be kind of a bust. Stunk. Absolutely stunk. So, but, I mean, they're another team that every year they're always projected to be this really, really good team, and they just never show up in the postseason. They just oh, they're, they just disappointingly get eliminated just like that. Yeah, and it, and it honestly shows, like, why this sport and the Stanley Cup – it's just so damn hard to win, right? Like you look at teams like Edmonton and the Sabres and like now like even Detroit, you're going to start wondering in a few years because these teams have just had so many high picks and you think like, man, these guys should be a lot better sooner or later. But, you know, it's kind of like football in a way. It's like you can have a top five pick, you know, five years in a row, six years in a row. And it just seems like if you don't get the coaching right with the right developmental system, then all these guys and their talents are just going to be wasted. You know, you talked about like, Edmonton, obviously, like Jesse Pugliarvi looked like that was going way down, way down Bustville for, for them for a long, long time. He was time. in Finland like a year ago, right? Yeah, like ago? he was threatening to like quit the Oilers forever. And it's just, I don't know. It's just, and it just, it just seemed to keep go getting, it just seems to be keep getting worse and worse. I don't know. But it's just, 
I, I always say like the best run organizations in the league are the ones that you really don't see necessarily on the ice right away, right? Like because it's all that behind the scenes developmental like ability. You know, you look at a team like St. Louis, who never seems to be able seems to be picking in the top ten, like yeah. year after year playoff experience, playoff, uh, you know, playoff games and stuff like that. And and it's just it's wild. And you always wonder, like even in Tampa too, you know. Yeah, they nailed on. They've gotten lottery picks like Stan Coast and Hedman, but they've also nailed, you know, getting guys like Nikita Kucherov in the second round and Andre Palat in the fourth round and then Tyler Johnson undrafted. But yep. their ability to develop these guys that you've never heard of before. And it's just, and that's what separates these teams. So on the West Coast, you know, it seems like the Avalanche and the Knights 2 2 seems like that should be the Western Conference Finals, but obviously it's not second round. So what can we expect from the rest of that series? Probably the best hockey of the playoffs. If More I'm being, of the same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm being blatantly honest, like it, it honestly, like the league had such a great opportunity to somehow make this into like, like be able to customize this whatever way they wanted to for these playoff matchups this year. Right. Because they basically just took all divisions and threw them in a blender. And I think, you know, odds makers are probably going to say whoever wins this Vegas Colorado series is, is going to be is going to be the favorite to win the Stanley Cup, maybe other than Tampa. But it's just you watch these two teams play and they just match up so well. There's just so much speed on the ice. Like all these guys are good in all three zones and they both have hot goaltenders right now. And that's one of those things where you're seeing with teams like Montreal and the Islanders like that makes a huge difference for your hockey team when you have that confidence and their ability. But there's just so much high end skill on both of these teams and they're both built completely different, right? Like Vegas is the expansion draft team. They've been, done all these trades and stuff. And Colorado has been that team. They built themselves to the draft with McKinnon and Langeskog and Cal McCarr and Miko Rantanen and, and, you know, <laughs> and on and on and on and on. You didn't even say uh, Bowen Byram. You didn't even say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you want to talk about just high end skill, speed, you know, it's by far the fastest series in the playoffs so far. And I just think, you know, whichever team is can kind of force the others into a mistake or kind of force their top line to sort of limit, limit their chances. Because Eric, as Eric and I say all the time, like you can't stop these teams completely. It's just about limiting their top end talent and how you can force them to kind of, you know, miss their opportunities, I guess. But yeah, it's these do both these teams are an absolute wagon. And I'm mad. It's, it's really upsetting that, you know, these teams are still going to have to go through another round just to even try to get to the finals. Um, with the expansion draft coming up, who are some guys that teams like good players, like quality players, maybe guys like on the higher contract sort of scale, who are some players maybe off the top of your heads that you can see as possibly being exposed and who the Kraken would probably select to start the expansion draft? You could even start with the Isles and the Rangers and the Sabres, whatever you guys want, but I just want to get some ideas of who could be exposed automatically to the draft just due to high contract. It's kind of tough to even like right now to kind of guess because some teams they like what we saw with Vegas, with the Vegas draft teams are sending first round picks to say like, or second round picks like, Hey, take this guy, please. Or like maybe a team, I think a guy who's pretty much marked for Seattle right now, the first guy I think of is TJ Oshie. Mm -hmm. I think he's definitely, I think he might end up being the first captain for Seattle. I mean, he, they, they have so many guys on Washington and Ovechkin needs a new deal and they have a lot of guys that, you know, that make a lot of big money. So unless they can somehow get it that Seattle takes a guy like uh, Evgeny Kuznetsov, I think it's, I think Oshie is, I think he's looking for an apartment in Seattle already. 
<laughs> yeah, I think I think Matt Dumba out of Minnesota is that prime guy right now. I think he's probably one of the more underrated defensemen because I think a lot of us on the East Coast don't really necessarily pay attention to Minnesota. But you want to talk about just a top-end defenseman, and the reason they're going to have – it might just be a number of – matter of numbers, right? Like they have to protect Ryan Suter because of his contract structure. I know they love the way Jonas Brodin plays and Jared Spurgeon is now the captain of that team. So, so yeah, so it's just, it, he just might just be the odd man out. And if you're, if you're Seattle, like that's the type of guy that you build your back end around. And that's the type of guy that you're probably going to put a C on or an A on like immediately. Mm-hmm. I think another guy too, you know, you look at Philly, are they going to put connect me out on that, li- on that protection list? Right. Like, you look at all those high-end talents. What are they going to do with Giroux? Um, you know, Kevin Hayes is the center position. That's something they really value, you know. And I think looking at their decor, I think the guys that they have there are going to be kind of like stuck there, sort of speaking. Like, that's it. So, it'll be really interesting. There's a lot of back-end deals that are going to be going on. And, I mean, even somebody like Vegas, who took advantage of the situation, obviously, last year, they have a ton of back-end guys with, like, Martinez and Patrick or, – uh, not that ready for Trangelo and stuff where I think they're going to be losing one of their top MD guys. Uh, Eric, you mentioned, you know, Ovi needs a new contract. Do you see the Washington uh, Capitals re-signing him or can he, can he be going somewhere else? One word? Yes, he's going, he's going to be a Washington <laughs> Capital. There's no way he's going anywhere. And I don't think there's anything more to really need to say about it. Cause it's not a shot. <laughs> I'll shave my head and strip naked down my block. If it turns out that he goes somewhere else. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> Noted. Yeah, we're gonna we'll make sure if that happens, I'm gonna. It's on a podcast. I mean, <laughs> I would say there's there's probably a better chance of him going back to Russia to play for Putin's team than for him to sign anywhere else in the NHL. Um, but one guy I also heard about for another year could be Zdeno Chara. Um, do you see him coming back next year? He's gonna be 44 next year, I think. And already one rumored team that could go after him are the Rangers. Like, do you see that as even a possibility? Like, again, Dolan. We're thinking Dolan here. Though. Yeah, I, I mean, well, you and you want somebody like, right, like you, you value guys like Andre or uh, Keandre Miller and, and Adam Fox and stuff, and, and there's really no better guy to learn from. And two, Chris Jury is a major culture guy, right? Like, everywhere he's always gone, he's changed the culture of that franchise for the better, obviously. I, I could see him out of the respect that he has for Chara. You know, and obviously, what does that deal look like? Is it a one-year, $1 million deal, and you're saying, hey, man, you're going to be fighting for top six minutes? Or are you saying, hey, you're going to come here for one year, we're going to put you on the five-six pairing all the time, or we're just putting you on the penalty kill? You know, being six-nine is a skill that doesn't really ever go away. That's the one thing I always say about Chara. And, you know, the leadership quality into it, that type of factor, he's definitely not the player that he was 10 years ago. I don't, I don't hate that move. I just, I don't know. I mean, I know he wants to come back, but I just think this game is so quick now and, and everything is about speed. It, it's going to be tough for him to find a spot in that lineup because that young decor is just so talented. Yeah, what he said. <laughs> about like, what was it? Maybe a week or two ago, we got the draft lottery, found out the Sabres hold the, uh, the first overall pick. But overall, who are some guys we should potentially look out for in, in this year's draft? You know, like oh, last year it was it was uh the guy who I can't Lafrenine or I can't pronounce it. Yeah. But in years ago it was you know who it is, whatever. But who are some guys we should look out for this year? 
Yeah, it's I, and I'm in the midst of getting doing all my deep dives and stuff now. And, and for everybody out there, we're going to be coming out with our draft prospect episode soon. Cheap plug. Yeah, <laughs> cheap plug. Um, but o, Owen Power is the guy that I think the consensus scouts have have number one going o- overall. It's so tough this year because whether you played in college, whether you played in major junior, whether these guys played in overseas, everybody had a really shortened season. So there's just not a lot of tape out there. But I think, you know, after Owen Power, this is a really interesting class because it's very heavy on defensemen. Brant Clark is a guy that I've heard a lot of great things about. Um, Edvinson is a Swedish young defenseman, a really good two-way guy that people are comparing to Nick Lidstrom. Um, you look at on the forward side, Maddie Beniers, who just won a gold medal with Team USA at the World Junior Championship, and Noel Gundler, who I think was second in all of junior hockey this year in, in goal scoring and point totals this year. So it's a really interesting class because at the number one guy, it's an absolute wash, right? Like, I don't think any single scout has the same top five going at any point in time that I've seen yet, but it's a good mix of of North American and foreign players. So it, it'll be, I think it'll be a very hectic draft night in terms of teams either maybe trying to move up or move out, move down out of their spots. In your opinion, because um, I, I mean, one thing about the Canadians Winnipeg series has been carry price has just been unreal. And I don't feel like he gets, not to say the credit he deserves, but he's not talked about. I feel like sometimes in the same light as like other goaltenders, in your opinion, do you think Carey Price is one of the most underrated goalies of all time? It's so tough to say that when you play in Montreal because you're either you're you're always either the worst or the best at everything. There's never no player ever stands anywhere. In Nobody's just okay. <laughs> Nobody's. <fun. laughs> um, is he the most underrated of all time? I don't, I don't know if I would go that far. I think the thing that's going to really stick with me is that when all said and done and when this next generation of hockey fans come out, they're probably not going to have the same appreciation for him that people, people our age do, right? Because there's like the unfortunate side of the fact that he was on some really terrible teams early on in his career, and he holds the record for the most losses of all time for, for, uh, for the Montreal Canadiens, which is a pretty historic franchise um you know the the one thing i will say though is that his work for team canada right and winning gold medals and world championships and stuff i think will always cement his legacy across all of canada not just in montreal so i I don't know if i would say he's the most underrated of all time but he's probably you're probably right going right headed towards the fact that i don't think he'll ever get the credit that he probably does deserve as maybe you know a top Easily a top 20, top 15, fringe top 10 type goaltender. All right. How – now, you know, you're just new person coming into the NHL. Like, they've never watched the NHL before. I need you guys to describe how good Nate McKinnon is to them. <laughs> Where do you want to start? I mean, <laughs> the funniest thing I think I ever heard him say when somebody was like, what did, what did you really need to improve on this offseason? This is before the season started. He goes – yeah, I really needed to work on my face-offs. Like, that's what he's worried about because everything else is just so easy to him. He's so fast. He's got a, he can, he's got a cannon shot on a one-timer. He's got a sick wrister. He's maybe the third or fourth fastest guy in the league. Um, he's big as a house. I mean, he's just it's, – It's like watching a horse on steroids skate. Yeah. Like, it, that, like, 
that's the closest comparison I can make. Like he's just like a thoroughbred in every sense of the word. And like, he's a guy who's like, yeah, I don't need to make that much. I like everybody here. So I kind of want um, just to take like a, maybe like a team friendly deal. Like that guy should be maybe the highest paid player in the league. And like, I think he makes like 6.7 or something stupid. Like he's every sense to the word. He's a superstar. They're just like one of the, one of the top moments of, of all of this NHL season is when they played Vegas in the outdoor game. And Alex Petrangelo, who was one of the best shutdown defensemen for Vegas, was mic'd up, right? And McKinnon picks up the puck, and as Petrangelo starts to skate backwards, the mic picks it. Mike picks up him saying, oh, shit, as McKinnon's coming down on him. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, McKinnon goes around him, snipes it top corner, and then Petrangelo goes to the bench, and he's just it's like, well, there was nothing I can do on that play. What do you want me to do? Yeah, it's yeah. just – you're never going to stop him. It's that saying you can only hope to contain him because you, he's, you're not going to stop him. And that line he plays on is so – so tough with Rantanen and with Landeskog, who both are no slouches themselves. I mean, it's he's unbelievable, unbelievable. Um, one of the, of course, another year was another disappointing uh, playoff run, thanks to our Islanders for the Penguins. Um, in my opinion, is age starting to catch up with them at this point? And with Malkin and I mean Crosby, but it just seems like overall the roster, besides Tristan Jari being so shaky and net and just being flat out terrible in uh in most of the games, but is age starting to really catch up with them and where do they go from here pretty much? I mean, you're still stuck with Crosby and Malkin regardless, but um, you know, it just seems like age was the Islanders just pretty much outskated them and then just took advantage of Jari being so shaky in the in the postseason. I gotta tell you, if I gotta be stuck with Sidney Crosby and Kenny Malkin. I, I still feel pretty okay about that. Um, I think there's other moves to be made. I mean, first of all, goaltending has to be addressed. I mean, Jari is not the guy. Um, now, why, was the, why was the other goalie? Was it, it wasn't COVID, was it, for the other goalie? Hurt. He was hurt. And the, hurt? I think their, their third string goalie is a guy named Max Legacy or Legacy, who right. I never heard of before. So there was obviously, there was nowhere to go. Yeah. Um, I was in the building game six and it, it was just, he, he didn't know what was going on. He, he confidence was shot. It just, he had nothing for him. Yeah. Goaltending. If they think they're going to make a deep run, they got to, their deep runs have been based off goaltending, whether it was flurry, whether it was Matt Murray, who have both moved on to greener pastures. Um, but they, they got to address goal. They got to address the goaltending. They got to address defense. I think the offense for them is going to come, but they got to, they got to somehow address that back end. Yeah. And I, and I think too, like, Brendan Burke, who's who's one of who's their new uh, president of hockey Brian operations. Burke. Brendan Burke is this cover yes. oh play by play. I literally just read his book. I feel like an absolute jerk for saying that. Um, <laughs> everywhere he's ever gone, he's always made one big move after the offseason because he always says that he wants to get the attention of the other GMs that he's not messing around or he's not laying down flat um, going into the second year. So you look at when he was in charge of the Vancouver Canucks, right? He orchestrated the trade that enabled them to draft the city in second and third overall. Mm -hmm. You look at when he went to Toronto, uh, he made the Phil Kessel trade. And then you look at when he went to Calgary, he made the move, he made the move to trade um, for uh, for Dion Phaneuf, or not Dion Phaneuf, um, Mark Giordano, excuse me. I, I know I, you love Dion Phaneuf a lot, so I know he's on your mind. I know he's yeah. your guy. Yeah. Um, so you just, you look at, you look at where they are right now. I think him and Ron Hextall are going to have some brutally honest conversations about that team in the past. You know, do they trade for somebody like Seth Jones to show up that back end? I don't know. Do they go after somebody like Freddie Anderson, who's just a more stable goaltender in that? 
I think those are both possibilities with them. I, but I certainly don't think this is going to be the exact same roster heading into next year. Eric, this, this, this question specifically for you. Okay. So, you know, the big thing going around with the Islanders every time we go to a game, every time someone goes to a game, the thing is we're going to Borelli's. Texted you last week when the Islanders won in overtime. We're going to Borelli's. You said, fuck Frankie Borelli. I need to no know comment. your beef. I need to know your beef for <laughs> Frankie Borelli. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> I got to tell you, though, I've gained a little respect. I'm getting a, I'm getting a weird Goodfellas vibe here. Or something. He's, a, he's a clown. But he's, he's a clown. No comment. No comment. Um, he's, he was a guy who used to not tweet about them unless they were good. Um, but now they're always good, so he tweets about them a lot. He's a clown, but he's – the fact that he went into Boston the past two days, I mean, oh my god, he went to the Lions Den and came out alive. So, I mean, nothing but respect for that kid for the past couple weeks. But yeah, he's gone. <laughs> no, what is Just that? I respect him doesn't mean I don't think he's a clown, but you know, what are you gonna do? Yeah, I noticed like this morning, I was watching on the Instagram feed before, like the line to get into that place was like insane. Well, no, the food's good. I've ate there before. The food is really good, like, nothing against you know. Mr. Borelli, but I mean, he's, you know, I said no comment, but he's a clown. <laughs> did, uh, did Portnoy do a pizza challenge or something? Because I know Portnoy saved I think he game. did. He did like a while, like a long time ago. That's how he yeah, did it. Yeah, I, th- I think he, he didn't give it a high score. I know that. Like, it was like, <laughs> I think like low sevens, I think. The, six, the sit-down food is good. I had the, uh, I think I had the fettuccine Alfredo there. It was pretty damn good, so. <laughs> Um, this is my last question, guys. Uh, for me, if there's one team right now that didn't make the playoffs but is on the cusp of something really good over the next year or two, in your opinion, who is that team? Who is that team? Nick, you go first so I can think about it. I'm trying to think myself. <laughs> there's a lot more teams that are, like, on the downswing. It's like that's what's got to, like, that's a tough one. I'm trying hmm. Because I don't want to say the Rangers because then I'm a fraud. I'm going to say – oh, you go first. You were about to talk. Go ahead. I was, I was going to say – I, I was going to say probably Ottawa. I, I really think they have so much young talent that's coming into their own. I think they're one – you know, they, and they're a team that has a ton of cap space. They're one superstar away from – from making a move. Right. And I think, you know, with teams like Calgary that seem like they're on the down and ready to blow up their core teams, like, you know, Arizona has pieces that would attract a lot of teams. I could see that team being really aggressive because they have a lot of capital and they have a lot of cap space for, for, to take on salaries and contracts and stuff that they're going to make a move or two. Um, I think Pierre Dorian has really handled their rebuild well so far. And that team fights hard. And I think DJ Smith, too, you know, another another Babcock disciple um, really has a good hold on that room. So I, I would be I would be I would be saying them. I think Thomas Shabbat is the next superstar D man in this league. You know, Tim Stutzley is probably Eric's favorite player in the, yes. who's not on the Islanders. He's so good. Um, and, and obviously, you know, they have a guy like Brady Kachuk who's turning into a great leader himself. So I would say in the next two, three years, this team is really going to be a team you don't want to mess with. If Brady Kachuk does not become their captain, I would be shocked. That kid is like, he's the franchise right now, in my opinion. I think he's unbelievable. If he's not the captain, I'd be shocked. I'm not going to strip naked, but I'd, I'd be shocked. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> 
Uh, I have two questions left. They're pretty. They're not even about. They're NHL. It's hockey related. Get them going. The, the goat hockey movie of all time. Hockey movie. Um, oh, it can't be. Don't please don't tell me it's Slapshot. It's not. Um, <laughs> Slapshot's really funny, but it's it's not it. Craig, you can answer this question as well. What do you think is the greatest the greatest hockey movie of all time? I mean, there are def- I mean, wow. All right, you guys go first. I got to think about it for a minute. I'm gonna give like I don't know if it's considered out of the box, but it'll be out of the box for me. I love Mystery Alaska. Oh, I think I why, man. That movie's so awesome. I think that movie is so great and so funny. And like Russell Crowe has been in like fifty thousand amazing movies, and I'll still think, <laughs> oh yeah, he was in Mystery Alaska. Like that's the movie I think of when I think of Russell Crowe. So that's mine. I think it's the best one. Everybody's going to say miracle, but like, yeah, I mean, how do you not say, like, I want to say the mighty ducks, but like at the end of the day, so much of that movie just isn't realistic. I know. Sorry. But like, and I love Emilio Estevez, but D3 when they all get accepted to the same prep school, (laughs) accepted to the same prep school. Yeah. They kind of lost me on that one. I I still love GPAs damned. Well, especially like, especially like in, in the sequence of those movies too, you think about like they play for a Minnesota state championship. And then a junior goodwill game gold medal, and then a scrimmage, like <laughs> their own school. And I was like, okay, I know they were playing for respect, I guess, but like that was a little different. So I mean, I still have to say miracle. I mean, I hate to be Disney's Disney plug for here, but I just think the actors in that movie they captured both the stuff that was happening on the ice and off the ice at that time period. So uh, uh, I'm a loser for saying that, I know, but I'm sticking with it. It's okay. I, I wanted to say it, but. I didn't. I mean, yeah, like, honestly, Mystery Alaska is very, very underrated hockey. It was definitely a really good movie. I, I mean, I, don't, I agree with both of you guys because Miracle is also amazing. We didn't even talk about the lettuce on Kurt Russell. I mean, what a head hair. I mean, <laughs> just unbelievable. We're going to get him the whip for, like, Christmas. and it's Oh, like, yeah. Again. <laughs> again. Again. Oh, you can't beat that. <laughs> If uh, my last question is, you know, did you guys watch, speaking of the Mighty Ducks, the Mighty Ducks Game Changers, and what was your thoughts on it if you watched it? I watched the first episode, hated the mother, and had to turn it off. I couldn't I, <laughs> I couldn't get into it. It just it wasn't – I knew it wasn't going to be, obviously, what we watched growing up, but, man, was it not good. I just – I could not get into it. And I, I know people seem to like it, but it's not – I, yeah, I didn't hate it. I've been, yeah. the, I've been watching the John Stamos basketball show. That one's How's okay. that? How is that? That one's okay. I know it, but like, I know it's bad. So like that, <laughs> like I, I'm going, I went in with zero expectations and they somehow even went lower than that. But John Stamos, speaking of great heads of hair, I'll continue to watch it. Yeah. I think I'm on, I'm on episode four and I'm like, I'm struggling to stick with it. I mean, they did a good job of like, I think updating the times on it with like, everybody has a podcast for this type of thing. And, you know, girls getting girls getting in to play hockey and stuff. But yeah, it's just it's just not the same. I just I don't know. Like now the ducks are the bad guys in the show. Like it's just that's a tough watch for me. Yeah, it's it, it, it was I watched the whole thing. I didn't think it was terrible, but like you watch some of it. It's just like this isn't what we're, we're used to as, you know, Mighty Ducks fans. You know, it, it was definitely weird. They make some references. I'm not going to spoil anything, but they make references throughout to the old Ducks throughout this, like as the season goes on. So it was cool when that happened. But like other than that, it's just like if there's no Charlie Conway, there's no Adam Banks. I, it's it's weird. You no, know, not the spade, spade. I'll call a spade a spade here. It's trash. You want me to say it? it it's trash. <laughs> 
I'm sorry. It's not good. <laughs> Wait, so is Estevez is Bombay? Is he like, is he coaching the, I haven't seen it yet. I haven't watched any of the episodes yet. He come, you, he owns is he somewhere. coaching the new team or is he still the coach of the Ducks, but the Ducks are like the hated team? Well, so he like, the way it started off is that like, he wants nothing to do with hockey like anymore. Cause yeah, he was terrible. wronged by, he was wronged by, I think. The Hawks. Either, either like the Ducks organization or like the junior goodwill team, I think. So now he's like anti-hockey, but he's still living in an ice rink. Cause he's like a homeless bum now. So it's just, it, Again, like a little, a lot of like hypocrisies, like early on, you kind of have to get past too. And he's but. also, he was a hotshot lawyer in the movies, and now he's homeless. Like that <laughs> like, lost me. A little like, bit of a stretch of the truth, right? Yeah, I don't buy it. Like, it's just like, oh, he's homeless and lives in a shack. I'm like, no, it, no, he doesn't. Like, he's a hot, he's a lawyer. He had all this money, came in a limo in the first movie on the ice. Like, come on. See, I kind of oh, cracked up when they were doing, when I forgot what movie it was where Hans dies. The guy, uh, the, the, oh, the third one, one. Yeah. the third one, and the guy's like the guy, uh, the kid announcer says, "Oh yeah, the entire team is doing like a tribute to Hans, their mentor." And I'm like, "Well, half the kids in D2 didn't even know who Hans was." <laughs> <laughs> like the kid, the cowboy kid, had no clue who he was. A little bit of suspension of dis- a disbelief isn't a bad thing, but I mean, come on, you can only stretch <laughs> no. it so far. See, like what annoyed me too in the first ep- in the first episode, just me and my brother, we watched it simultaneously because we both grew up watching the Ducks, and it's like you see some of the teams that are there. It was like the Ducks, the Cardinals, the this, the that, and one of the teams is the Hawks. And my brother was like, "Wait, why aren't they the same colors that they were back in the day? They're not even they're not even black and white. They're like orange and like they're like Mets colors." I was like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> it, 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 it bothered my older brother so much. He was like, I can't like, this is, this is so bad. Like why, why, why would they change colors? And why, why are they the second worst team in the, in the league right now? Like it, it made my brother was going off on it for so long. I'm like, I didn't I, know we were allowed to cuss. I would have been a little, I would have. Oh, we were. Yeah. You curse curse up the storm. Yeah. It's network, it's his rules, I guess. <laughs> like, well, that was an F pop. I wasn't expecting. <laughs> All right, guys. Listen, man. Thanks you for uh, you know hanging out with us. Uh, Islanders just uh, it's final five to four. So game game six is Wednesday or Thursday. Wednesday at the barn. You going, Clem? No, I got work. I can't, I can't dip into my bank account again. I'm going to Montauk this weekend. I was at a wedding last weekend. My, my wallet's hurting a little bit, so I'm gonna have to sit that one out. Clem, you may have to finagle your way into being an EMT again like you did the other day. For, oh, my God. That before. was It was such a nice – so nice to get paid to actually watch the Islanders get to play a game. So good. So, all right, guys. Listen, man, really appreciate it. Thank you uh, for taking the time to come on our show. Definitely looking forward to having you guys on again in the future, all right? That's at yeah. top pair underscore pod. Pod as in P as in pretty good to be on this podcast. Thanks for having us. O as in, oh, my goodness, game six at the barn. D – as in, damn, it feels good to beat Boston in Boston. See you, boys. <laughs> Take care, guys. Thanks for Thanks having us. us on, all right? All right, well, that was the uh, the Top Pair podcast. Eric and Nick, definitely check out all their episodes on the A1 Sports Network. Islanders, it is final. The Islanders win 5-4. to four. They take game five. Um, I'm stunned they won that game, I'm going to be honest. I mean, I'm stunned that they were winning 5-2. Well, as I was saying, like I had, like I wasn't watching, but like I had it on the, I had it on the background. I was like looking at like every now and again out of the corner of my eye, and I saw I'm like, oh, we're up five two. This is fantastic. Like, like, if you watched all the games that the Islanders play throughout this postseason, even the first round against the Penguins, they're not high scoring games whatsoever. I mean, 
it, you know, again, with a team like Boston, yeah, you're going to get that more times than not, especially with Tuka Rask. Very rarely does Tuka Rask have a stinker. But, um, you know, the one thing that you and I have always talked about with the Islanders that's always frustrated us is their, like, just lack of consistent scoring. Right. You know, Barzell, up until two days, you know, game three, now all of a sudden is tearing it up. And, I mean, that's a guy they desperately need to get hot. No, I, you know what you're going to get out of guys – Unfortunately, you know, you're going to get stuff, you know, guys like, you know, Brock and, you know, Bailey scored today. I think Palmieri scored too. He scored another one. Yeah. So those are the types of guys. I mean, you're definitely going to expect those guys, but they really need Barzell. What the hell is that? What? I keep hearing like something off my, I don't know if it's off you. Oh, it's you. I thought you were talking about me. I'm like, I don't hear anything. <laughs> I'm on my wife's computer, so I don't know, I don't know what it is. But no, you're absolutely right. Like Barzell's getting hot at just the right time. Like this is when he needs to, he put up another goal today. He put up a goal last game and he put up a goal in game three. Like this is where, this is what we need Barzell to do to keep producing. And Kyle Palmieri has been nothing but fantastic throughout this entire playoffs. You know, and you know, that was one thing I want. I forgot to ask uh, Eric and Nick. It's just that, you know, like when you've been watching these playoffs, other than like, you know, Varlamov, who's been keeping the Islanders in all these games, mm-hmm. who's been like the MVP of the, the Islanders right now? Because you can't say it's Barzell, not until now. You can't say Bolivier. You can't say it's – and I'm like, it's e- it's either got to be like Palmieri or Pelic because they've been both been playing fantastic hockey. You know, but throw some love towards Varlamov too. I oh, mean, no, I obviously, yeah. I mean, I, I know it's tough. I mean, I know, I know Islander fans love Sorokin and everything like that. But you cannot second guess Barry Trotz ever again. Like you, I mean, Barry Trotz just knows exactly what type of buttons to push, and it's so weird, Clint, because you know I've been, you and I have been Met fans, you and I have been Jet fans, you and I have been, you know, we're Nets fans as well as uh, Islander fans, and it's crazy awesome to watch one of your teams consistently in the playoffs, consistently battling. Now they have a chance to to kill it in game six in front of their fans on on Wednesday night I mean that place is going to be a fucking nightmare that could be a nightmare to play in for the Boston Bruins it, feel, yeah, it feels good because like you mentioned like we're both we're both Mets Jets Nets and Islanders fans you know and the Mets and Jets they don't make the playoff consistently they'll make it every once every five six years or whatever the Nets, they've just started to get consistent. So it's been the past three years they made the they made the playoffs. But it's it's still it's it doesn't mean anything because you know how good especially now because you know they're really good. And especially I saw they were smoking the Bucks at halftime. So it's like, okay, it's whatever. But the Islanders, like the I like oh, I don't know what it is about the Islanders, man. It's like blue collar, like this is what you like there's so much history with the Islanders as well, you know, especially because they are Long Island's team. Other than the other than the Long Island Ducks, the Islanders are Long Island's team, and you just you just gotta love what they've been doing. It's been. I mean, this very... is a fan base that is devoted. They've gone through so much shit over the years. I mean, between the Millberry regime, weird trades they made, guys that didn't really want to be here. You know, I remember when they made the, remember when they made the trade for Ryan Smith from the Edmonton Oilers, and he mm-hmm. wanted like no part of leaving Edmonton. Right. The Islanders tried everything in their power to get him to stay. They they offered him shitloads of money, and he immediately left and went to uh, shit, not Toronto. I don't remember where he went. I know he went to Canada, or the infamous Matt Molson for Thomas Vanek trade that no one understood why it was made. Molson was such a was such a beloved figure on the island, with you know Tavares at the time, 
I mean, just some of the moves were very head scratching. Gart Snow wasn't a terrible GM, but I also thought he made, a, he made a lot of panic moves, in my opinion. Like, remember what that was the when the Islanders got up to that really slow start, he wound up making the Molson for Vanek deal. Yeah. And Vanek wanted no part of coming to, to the Islanders at that point. You know, he did shit like that that used to piss a lot of fans off. But then he also, you know, he definitely made some decent moves for the for the franchise. He wasn't a terrible general manager. He just wasn't a he wasn't a great one either. He's like somewhere in the middle, I would say. Yeah, I mean, and plus, you know, like obviously, like the Rick DiPietro contract doesn't help. Obviously, yeah. I mean, that's part of it. I mean, just some of the other contracts he gave. You know, he gave Josh Bailey a monster contract. You know, six year contract. I didn't really think Josh Bailey was worth it. In fact, I still don't think he's worth it. You know, he gave Clutterbuck a big contract that you know Lamarilla was never going to give those guys the contracts that they that they got. You know, part of the reason why you know Anders Lee got the deal that he got was because the Islanders missed out on Panarin. Yeah, you know, Panarin was everybody thought he was signed, sealed, and delivered to the Islanders, and the Rangers came out of nowhere and offered him, and he wanted to go to the Garden. Garth, a lot of times, made gave guys big contracts that never felt they deserved. And like I said, the one panic move I still look back on is Andrew Ladd. He gave Andrew Ladd a monster deal, and the guy has barely played at all, and the Islanders are stuck with him right now. You know, the only thing you can hope for is maybe the Kraken will take him to kind of like, you know, hit, <laughs> all right. I, I love that name, by the way. Sorry. I, I, I'm all in. I've definitely got to get some Kraken gear because I know I'm, I'll be going out to Seattle in the near future. And I know we're going to try to, my friends in Seattle and I are going to hit, try to hit up a Kraken, you know, because a Kraken uh, home game or something. I'm all in on the Kraken. I, I'm ready. I'm ready. Like, I'll, I'll be a fan. But I'm saying maybe the Isles find a way to trade his contract just so they can get to like the salary cap floor or something like that. You know, then may require the Islanders to throw a pick in there. But, um, you know, it's just things like that, though, that kind of ruined Garth Snow's, Garth Snow's tenure. So a lot of fans were so frustrated with Garth Snow for that reason was because he just right. he used to make weird moves, but then he made some good moves. And then all of a sudden he was right back to where, you know, he was. So, it's just refreshing, though, to see this team consistently competing, and they are a fucking pain in the ass to play. You know, and that's the thing, though, because you look at the Penguins was one again. You look at the Penguins and the Bruins on paper. The Penguins and the Bruins should should be smoking the Islanders, smoking. I mean, you look at some of the players that the Bruins have: Pasta, Bergeron, McAvoy, mm-hmm. uh, Taylor Hall. The list goes on and on and on. And you look at the Islanders team, it's like, mm, yeah, you got Barzell. That's kind of it. But not even like you should, you're not even, you shouldn't even be worried about Matt Barzell. And they are consistently kicking ass and taking games in these playoffs. Like it's, they're not getting blown out whatsoever. And if they lose, it's a close game. But they've been very, very, very. The thing is, is like you see the difference. And the thing was, I don't want to give a guy like Capuano shit because I actually thought Capuano was a good coach for the Islander. Um, he did get to the playoffs. But you see the difference in a guy like Trotz. Mm-hmm. And the way, you know, Barry Trotz, you just see the experience. You know not to – you know not to second-guess his decision-making. And the thing is, is while all the Islander fans love Sorokin, the fact is Varlamov really hadn't done anything to lose the job. He hasn't. He hasn't. He has performed as, I mean, I know he gives up some flimsy goals sometimes, but listen, even a blind squirrel finds a nut. 
And sometimes, you know, you are going to give up those goals. I mean, it just happens. But, you know, you go back to uh, game three in overtime, you know, he had 39 saves. I mean, you, you can't get on his ass. And like somehow the fans were really were like ripping him like, oh, fucking Varlamov, you know, and everything. You know, the Isles scorers have to step up. I mean, he can't yeah. save everything. You know, right, he, absolutely right. Yeah. And again, Volom, like I said, Volomov has kept the Islanders in a lot of these games. Game three to be a perfect example. I was there. I was in the building game three and I watched it. I'm like, I was telling the guy I was working with, I'm like, the Bruins should have way more goals than just one right now. Like Volomov's been making incredible saves left and right. And he's no one big. He's been keeping this team in, in, in the hunt, and he did the same thing last year. You watched him play. I mean, as much as I love Thomas Grice, Varley had the hot hand. You had to go with Varley the whole playoffs, and that's what that's why they were able to get to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Yeah, and then on top of that, you know, you – again, a lot of people wanted Leo Komarov off that first line, and Trotz was like, fuck you, he's staying. And Komarov has been a terrific agitator. So good. You know, a lot of people criticize that signing and I, and I understood why they criticize it because they gave him a lot of years mm-hmm. and he wasn't really that much of an, of an offensive guy. I mean, he was, he was a scorer, but not really a scorer. He was more of an agitator. And a lot of people couldn't figure out why they gave him that kind of money. And Komarov to me has been terrific. He's I, good. I have no objections with him on the first line at all. You know what he he's like he's like as if you got another Matt Martin on the team. You know, he'll score, he'll score here and there, but he's more of like an enforcer. He'll get in your face. He'll be he'll be a pain in the ass on the ice, and that's what you need sometimes. And you're also seeing the experience, you know, first of all, this team is gaining so much experience, you know, guys like Bailey, guys like Brock, you know, Barzell, of course. But then you look at the other guys they acquired, guys like Travis Zajac and Kyle Palmieri. Andy and your experience right there. You know, Andy Green, good point. I forgot about him. Um, you know, of course, Letty. I mean, they have a lot of experience right now on this roster. It's not like a, just a complete youth movement anymore. I right. mean, they are a freaking pain in the ass to play because they just, they really clamp down. When they're on their game, you can't beat them. No, and the, the defense has been great for the Islanders, you know. Like I said, Adam Pellick has been one of the better players for the Islanders throughout this whole series, like throughout the Penguins and the Bruins series. You watch him play, he's fantastic. Andy Green, been very good. I was so happy they brought him back on such a cheap deal because it's like, you know, you brought him in last year because you saw how young the team was. And it was like, okay, there's no real, like, you know, playoff experience on this team. You got brought in a guy like Andy Green. It was great. Noah Dobson's trying to find is finding his role on this team. It's, and Nick, again, Nick Letty as well. You know, it's been just very good defense for the Islanders throughout this entire playoffs. Yeah. And, you know, you just see it year in and year out. Now, next year, again, I just want to see a more elite scorer on this roster. I don't know who that is because I don't know who's going to be available. You know, maybe maybe the Maple Leafs, Lamarillo seems to really like to work out deals with the Maple Leafs. Maybe, maybe a guy like Mitch Marner is available or Nylander. I have no idea. Jack Eichel, sign Taylor Hall. Who knows? We don't know, but they it, it has to happen. They have to get a score. I mean, they have the to shed though. some salary, and I don't know where that's going to come from because, you know, Ladd is still in AAA, technically speaking. He's in, you know, he's with Bridgeport, and so his contract doesn't count, I think, entirely towards the cap because they put him in Bridgeport. You know, Letty makes a – Letty has a big figure – I don't know what they want to do with Palmieri and Zajac after the season. I could see them making a run at Palmieri, not so much Zajac. 
I could see Zajac going back to the Devils or something like that if he wanted to go back to the Devils or just retiring. Um, the I mean, but again, you have a really young nucleus of defensemen. You have an up-and-coming scorer, in my opinion, in Oliver Wallstrom, who's been out for a few games. But I don't think you fuck with the roster at this point. This is the roster that's going to win. You know, this is the roster that's going to have to bring it home in game six and get you to the finals. Oh, absolutely. Like, there's nothing you can you can change with this roster. You know, you go with again. He's got the hot glove. You keep, keep him in there. As much as I love Sorokin, obviously, you know, I bought the jersey. But mm-hmm. you got to go. You got to go with Varley. You, there's, there's no way you don't stick. You cannot stick Varley in, in the net in game, in game six. Now listen, if, if the Trots decided to go to Sorokin, I don't think I would blame him. I mean, Sorokin's been just as good as Varlamov. But I think ride the hot hand. You know, a lot of people, when we lost Robin Leonard to uh, the Black, we decided not to bring back Robin Leonard. You know, Robin Leonard was a, I mean, he was loved by almost every Islander fan. I mean, it was friend, crazy the amount your of friend Kim, Your friend Kim was like her all-time, one of her all-time favorite players. And he rightfully so. He was a fantastic player. He was good. And when they, I mean, Islander fans were visibly upset when they didn't bring Leonard back and they went, they pivoted towards Varlamov instead. And Varlamov has looked like an absolute stud for what they gave him. Now, the thing is, I'm curious for next year, you know, with the, obviously with the expansion draft, do they expose a guy like Varlamov because they're going to move forward with Sorokin? Or I'm curious to see what they do next year with him because he's gotten him this far. I mean, I don't necessarily want to see him exposed to the expansion draft, but I know Sorokin is the future of the franchise. You know, I think, you know, in the back of their mind, they, I'm, try, I'm trying to see how much, how many years he has left on his deal. He only has like two more years or maybe yeah. a year. I'm not sure. He's got, yeah, he's got two years by the, by, uh, by 2023, he'll be a free agent. So, I mean, it could work out in a way where like they could trade him. It's like, Hey, uh, hey, Kraken, you know, you got to take Varley. You, you can have Varley, but you got to take Ladd as well. You know, it's like they got to try and figure something out. It could be a package deal. They could keep him for one more year because he's so, because Islanders fans love him. There's, I mean, I, I don't think Islanders fans want to get rid of him. I think they want to keep him. And, I mean, they want, you know, but again, you have to w- figure out what you're going to do with Sorokin. You got to figure out what you're going to do with Barzell. I mean, uh, not Barzell. Um you know, I, I think that this – I think they're going to – they may have to consider shaking it up after this year. Mm-hmm. You know, even if that means packaging a guy like Beauvillier to get somebody. Um, but, I mean, right now this team is – again, they're just – they are just a pain in the ass to play in the playoffs. And I'm sure Boston – they are frustrating the shit out of Boston right now. Oh, yeah. Just like they frustrated the shit out of the Penguins. I mean, it's like – the Islanders, even last season too, they were the gnat that never they'll never go away. Like, you know, it's like because like I said, like you look at the Penguins and the Bruins roster on paper, they should they should be smoking the Islanders. It shouldn't even have been a contest. I mean, I but, think the problem with the Penguins is more age at this point. You know, they have a lot of guys who are getting up there in age between, you know, they had Kessel, they had um, I don't know, did they have Kessel this year? I don't think so. I can't remember if they had Kessel, but you know. Guys like Latang, guys like Jeff Carter, who they got from, you know, he's like 36 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, Crosby's up there in age. Malkin's up there in age. And I'm not saying they're, they've lost a step. Far from it. But you can definitely see that age has taken it's a little bit of its toll on the Penguins right now. Not to mention, again, a really, really shaky goalie situation with Tristan Jari. 
who the, I mean, the Islanders just owned him. I mean, that game six, when they, when they, um, when they scored like three goals in the span of like a minute and a half or two minutes, mm-hmm. that just, that crushed him. That completely crushed Tristan, Tristan Jari. Oh yeah. That point. I mean, they had no chance. I mean, not to say they really didn't have much of a chance at that point. I think that sucked the life out of them, especially with the crowd. But, you know, again, big, huge win for the Islanders in game five, game six, Wednesday night at the barn. That place is going to be fucking rocking. Oh, yeah. It's going to be real fucking nice. I can't wait, man. I, oh, I'm, oh, I'm so excited, man. But I think the key is, again, don't let the Bruins come out with some intensity. You've got to hit them in the mouth early. You've got to, you know, you, you know, don't let them push you around in your house. I mean, that's going to be one of the keys to the, to the game on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So, um, one other thing, I guess, before we'll just before we call it a night, um, Nets are kicking the shit out of the Bucks. Last time I checked, um, as you know, again, Clem, I never thought I'd say this, but our teams are actually respectable. They're good. I mean, <laughs> Mets are in first place. The Islanders are one win away from the from the Eastern Conference Finals, where they'll probably most likely play Tampa, and. The Nets are smoking the Bucks, and that's without Harden. And everybody made a big deal about James Harden, and I'm not saying it's not a big deal. Okay, it's a brutal injury anyway. You look at it, but if there was one team that had the horses to make up for the loss of Harden, it's definitely Brooklyn. Yeah, because they had Kyrie Irving, they have Kevin Durant, Blake Griffin has definitely turned on a new motor, which is what you wanted to see in the postseason. You know, you have I think a terrific bench with Landry Shamit, Bruce Brown, and Nicholas Claxton's going to be really good, man. Oh, he's he is. Yeah. a really good player. Not to mention Mike James filling in for Harden has actually performed pretty well. And, of course, you have Joe Harris, who's one of the best three-point shooters in the league, if not the best. I mean, this team is loaded right now with, with studs. You know, the Bucs have a pretty solid roster, too. You know, Giannis, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday – um, you know, uh, Brooke Lopez, I forgot Brooke Lopez is even on the box, but right now, I mean, the Nets are definitely putting it into another gear and watching the Hawks dismantle the Sixers the way they did right in game one on Sunday. I mean, the Hawks are a very dangerous team, like very dangerous. The problem with the Hawks is the Hawks are a team that play too fast paced sometimes. They are the type of team they love to run. And as soon as they get the ball into either Bogdanovich's hands, Trey Young's hands, or even Sam Huerta's hands, they want to shoot. They don't really settle down. They don't try to set up a play. They just shoot. If it goes in, it goes in. If it doesn't, it doesn't. So when you watch the Sixers game on Sunday, you know, the Hawks jump out. They're winning by 30 at one point. Right. Because every shot they were hitting was going in whether it was Trey Young, whether it was Bogdanovich or Huerta or um, Capella or uh, uh, I forgot the other guy's name, Solomon Hill, I think is the other guy. They were just killing it. They were killing it. I think I'd be more nervous to play the Hawks than the Sixers. I don't know. I think the Nets can take the Sixers. I don't, I, I'm a little bit nervous about playing the Hawks. The Hawks are hungry right now. That's why. Because they know they have nothing to lose, especially now after beating the, the Knicks where they smoked the Knicks. They and they already took game one against the Sixers in Philadelphia, man. That's that's not an easy order against guys like Embiid and Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris, even Seth Curry, who's a great three-point shooter from the outside. I mean, 
I've been very, very impressed with the Hawks right now. And Trey Young is going, he is going to be the new Reggie Miller, you know? And the crazy thing is, and like we, we, you know, listen, we go back in time and there was only one Michael Jordan. Right. Okay. Now you got like five or six of them. It's not even just one guy. That's like the, the Jordan you're talking about now besides LeBron. And you're talking about even Trey Young is kind of falling into that category. He is that good of a difference maker on the court for any team. I mean, the Hawks are respectable again, primarily because of him and like the moves they made. And then they bring in Nate McMillan and fire the uh, Lloyd Pierce originally, but I am blown away by how good their outside shooting is. And then of course, adding to that, you bring on Lou Williams, who's one of the best six mans in the, in the game. Oh yeah. He's like, again, you guys like when people like, I feel like people don't like, yeah, it's good to have, you know, your, your star player, like, you know, like a LeBron, like a, like a LeBron James and Anthony Davis. But if you don't have a bench to go with them, like a guy like Lou Williams coming off the bench, mm-hmm. you got nothing. You got you you because then you're just relying on the sole talent of, oh, it's going to be Giannis and Chris Middleton running the show. No, but that and that's why the Nets are so good because their bench is so deep. Yeah, yeah they got KD, they got Kyrie and James Harden, sure. But you look at what they got coming off the bench; mm-hmm. it's real. It's not bad. It's not bad at all. That's the same no. thing with the Hawks. I mean. It's it's pretty crazy, and like I said, out of all the teams, I don't think the Nets could hang with. I think the Nets would have more trouble with Atlanta than they would with the 76ers. I think they can they can hang with the 76ers. I don't think they can hang with the Hawks. I think the Hawks are just an elite, you know, just from their outside shooting alone. But again, I, I don't know, man. The one thing I know about Trey Young is if you double team him quickly, you know, he gets he gets a little rattled at times. But then, you know as do most other players. Right. But like I said, and I'll say it over and over again, that outside shooting is fucking dangerous. <laughs> it is a it, da- they are a dangerous outside shooting team. Again, you, you see what, what outside shoot, what, what three point shooting can do for a team. Look, look at the, the Warriors prime example. Clay and Steph and I mean, but again, like you look like when I watched that game on Sunday, I could not believe how quickly the Hawks were up by 25. I know it's because everybody's every three point shot was going in everyone. And it didn't matter who was shooting it. They were going in. Mm-hmm. All right. One last thing before we get out of here and call tonight. Um, you know, OTA start this week for the jets for a lot of other teams, mandatory OTAs. Um, Rogers hasn't showed up for OTAs, which is fine. I don't expect him to be there. Um, I think it's all smoke and mirrors and he'll wind up quarterbacking the Green Bay Packers week one. One thing I've noticed from the Jet Beat writers is this weird kind of conundrum they put themselves into where they want to talk about Zach Wilson doing really well on seven on sevens or 11 on 11 drills and everything. But then they want to kind of tell you it's OTAs, you know, it's just OTAs. You can't look deep into it because they're not, they're not suiting up. It's just, you know, drills basically for the most part. Right. But then when it comes to the story of a backup quarterback, because the right now the only quarterbacks on the roster besides Wilson are James Morgan and Mike White. And James Morgan and Mike White haven't really looked that great in OTAs. All of a sudden, the sky is falling. All of a sudden, it's they got to get a backup right now. They, 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 you know, this is insane. Like, why don't they have a backup? Cause the backup is not on this roster and they really got to get a backup and, and everything. And I'm like, but it's fucking OTAs. 
Yeah. You see, I don't expect James Morgan to be good right now. I, James Morgan is learning an entirely new offense. I don't expect him to be that good right now. What I expect out of James Morgan is by the preseason that he's good to go and that he's not making a complete fool of himself on the field. Right. But this ridiculous notion that, and again, you and I talked about this, I think it was like a few weeks ago. This ridiculous notion that this team has to get a veteran backup to mentor Zach Wilson is laughable. It's absolutely laughable. I don't understand why people, Jet fans, Jet beat writers, feel they can sleep better at night knowing that Nick Mullins is the backup quarterback to Zach Wilson. You know, I think it's just for the fact that the Jets have, we've seen, you know, we don't, we never had a franchise quarterback since, since Joe Namath, you know, and people just want that reassurance that, ah, we got this guy here to back him up and help him out with the system. You know, I think, I think that's what it is going along with the fact that you watch some of the top quarterbacks in this league, like Patrick Mahomes, Mm -hmm. Lamar Jackson, they didn't play their first year. You know, they, they sat behind Alex Smith and Joe Flacco learned behind them the mentor role that it was and they play, they look where they are now two of the best quarterbacks in the league. Same thing with, you know, look at Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers sat behind Brett Favre for a few years. Mm-hmm. Brett Favre, uh, Aaron Rodgers, is the best best quarterback in all of football right now. You know, I, th- right. I think it's just to that fact that people are like, oh, okay. that's the way it's going. Fair enough. But right now, outside of Nick Mullins, you're not going to trade for Nick Foles. Right. You're not going to give up. Joe Douglas is not giving up draft capital to get Nick Foles. He is going to wait because right now, apparently, Nick Foles is the third string quarterback. You know that's not going to happen by week one. Right. They are going to cut Nick Foles and they're just going to have to eat the money and deal with it because there's no way they're going to have, have Nick Foles on their roster as a third string. And they're not going to pay him a ton of money to be inactive every week. Right. Okay. But it's just this weird conundrum that, well, the sky is fall. Oh my God, we don't have a backup to Zach. I mean, this is un- unacceptable and everything. I-, I just don't understand. Like right now, do you see a flood of teams signing Nick Mullins? No. The Jets could probably get him for a million dollars right now. One yeah. year deal for one million dollars, be the backup to Zach Wilson. Okay. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't hate Zach Wilson on this. T- I mean, Zach Wilson. I wouldn't hate Nick Mullins on this team, but I'm perfectly content with riding with James Morgan because that was the whole point of drafting James Morgan. The whole point of drafting James Morgan was to groom him to be that super backup, right? Right. He had no chance to beat Sam for the starting job, and he definitely has no chance to beat Zach Wilson. So I don't get it. It's why are we so frustrated and stressed out that they didn't sign a backup quarterback yet? It's like, okay, Mackay Becton has plantar fascia. Okay, he has a foot, he has a foot injury. So the Jets worked out Morgan Moses from the Redskins. Now, I would love to see Morgan Moses come to the Jets. I think it would be awesome. I don't know what it does for George Fant because a lot of people seem to think that George Fant would, is, very, is very well fit for the scheme that they're running. It be, you know, kind of plays to his athleticism right. and everything. But then all of a sudden everybody's like, they have to sign Morgan Moses right now because of Mackay Becton. Do you really think Mackay Becton is going to miss week one? We're in fucking June. We're in June. And I'm not saying the injury is concerning. I mean, I'd be a little nervous. 
But I can't sit here right now and say, well, you know, the, 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 the depth, you know, they need depth on the offensive line, especially now with the Becton injury and everything. The Becton injury is nothing. It's a foot injury. Okay. The first game of the season is not until the middle of September. Mm-hmm. I think they'll be okay. But if you choose to sign Morgan Moses, I'm not going to say no. Right. I would love to have him on the team. I mean, any more depth to the offensive line is going to be great. Maybe they move Fant to guard. You know, personally, I think right guard is Alex Lewis's job to lose. Okay. I just think when you restructure his contract the way you did, I think you kind of guaranteed him a spot on the roster. So if I'm Greg Van Roten, I'd be a little nervous right now for being cut. But this weird notion, like how OTAs, you can't look too deep into Zach Wilson at OTAs looking sharp, but we, we need to get depth on the offensive line because now Makai Becton has an injury and we don't have an offense. We don't have a backup quarterback. So let's freak the fuck out about this. I mean, it's, the overreactions are completely mind-boggling for OTAs. They're not in pads. They're just learning the basics of the offensive scheme. Yeah. You won't see this really get into full dial until the end of July when training camp really begins. And then you start doing preseason games before you get to the regular season. No, you're absolutely right. You know, and like this is like, but again, going back to even like the quarterback situation, like the bad quarterback, I'm going to sleep just fine knowing that James Morgan is my backup the same way I would sleep if Nick Foles was my backup or Nick Mullins. I really could give a rat's ass about who the backup quarterback is for this team. As long as Zach Wilson is doing Zach Wilson stuff, that's all I give a shit about. That's all, all I really care about is whatever Zach Wilson is doing, if he's throwing touchdowns, cool. Yeah, if, if he's he looks throwing good, picks, let's fix it. Listen, he looks good and he looks like a rookie. Yeah, that's what, that's, that's it. fine. He looks good and he looks like a rookie. And that's what you're going to get from him all season long. You're going to get flashes of him looking really good, and there's going to be some questionable throws that he makes. Okay? And that's what Jet fans have to realize. But this notion of, like, we have to get a backup quarterback, the only backup left is Nick Mullins. Okay? Maybe if a guy gets cut, you can make a claim for him. And that's what I'd rather do anyway. Why am I going to rush to go? And like I said, Nick Mullins – you can get him right now for a million and a half. Yeah. There you go. Done. And yeah, and like you said, Joe Douglas is not going to trade a draft pick, which we all know he loves his draft picks. He ain't trading a pick for Foles. He's not trading a pick for Foles. Yeah. No way. No way. Um, another oh. interesting note going on at Jets camp is the situation with Jamison Crowder. Um, the Jets want him to take a pay cut, and uh, that's why he has not been at OTAs because they are negotiating a pay cut right now for Jamison Crowder. Um, Sala seems to really want him on the roster this year, but um, if they can't come to an agreement on what a pay cut on the pay cut, then he'll probably get cut and uh, get signed by, you know, someone else. But that's really where we are right now is obviously the, the drafting of Elijah Moore. And again, don't sleep on Braxton Berrios too. They really love Braxton. I think the Jets really like Braxton Berrios. And so you already have now two guys that can play in the slot. Elijah Moore can also play on the outside, but Basically, in not so many words, Joe Douglas is sending a message saying, look, we want to keep you, but not at that price. $10 million is too much for a slot receiver who's not going to get – he's basically predicting that Jameson Crowder is not going to get as many touches as a lot of the other players. I, so, like, James, I like Jameson Crowder. He's been a big help to this franchise the past few years. But, again, 
I'm not going to lose sleep if we give up, if we trade Jamison Crowder or if we cut him or whatever. I'm, I love the Elijah Moore pick as much as I, as much as I really didn't agree with drafting another wide receiver at that pick. I love Elijah Moore. I think he'll be, I think he'll be a fantastic wide receiver in this league. Yeah. And I think, you know, the guy, the, the guy who covers the jets for the daily news, I love that guy. He's hilarious. Um, I can't pronounce. I think his name is DJ uh, Ben Ami or something like that. He's not Manish Mehta. That's all that matters. Not Manish Mehta, but he's 10 times. <laughs> um, he said, and I definitely agree with him, that Crowder is very overrated by Jets fans. I don't disagree with that, man, because the Jet fan has a tendency to latch on to a really good player when they perform well. Mm-hmm. Crowder has been a good Jet, but sometimes Jet fans put him in a class that he shouldn't be anywhere near and that's how i kind of look at it i think he's been a very good jet and he's one of the few mccagnan signings that have been great but i also think he's expendable yes i think he's a guy you can get rid of and not lose a beat you know especially what the jets have done to rebuild because remember we all forget too another guy that quietly is could play a big role on this team on the offense is Keelan Cole. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You look at what this depth at the Jets wide receiver position is now compared to last I had depth like that before, man. It's Ever. it's insane. You know, because you have you have Denzel Mims, you have Corey Davis, Jameson Crowder for now. Keenan Keelan Keelan Cole. Keelan Cole was the two wide receiver on the Jaguars and he's the four here. He'll he'll be the four here. You'll have Braxton Berrios. You have still have Vincent Smith. If Vincent Smith is our sixth, and is our sixth, Elijah Moore, and, and Elijah Moore, yeah, we have so much depth at this wide receiver position. It's insane, and I, I absolutely love it because if Vincent Smith is going to be our seventh wide receiver, by all means, let him be our seventh wide receiver. I doubt. Dude, I, have a doubt I doubt. Starting, make, honestly, I doubt he makes the team at that. Point. Oh, so do I. But he, to, but to my point though, like the dude was the seventh wide is the seventh going to be the seventh wide wide receiver this year. Dude was starting games last year for us. Yeah. Um, Julio Jones officially traded uh, yesterday by the Falcons to the Tennessee Titans for a second and a fourth round pick. I have no problem with the trade. I don't know why everybody's making such a big fucking deal about the package that they got back. I mean, Julio Jones is in his 30s. He's showing signs of injuries now. I'm not saying he can't be the same receiver he was, but he's definitely not the impact player that – I'm expecting, you know, that everybody's making him out to be. He's not in his prime Julio Jones. So I think he goes to a good spot with the Titans with A.J. Brown, Derrick Henry, and Tannehill. And the Falcons get a second and a fourth, which is fine. I think that's – I don't – and don't forget, his salary is another issue too. You know, part of the reason why Darnold only got got three picks was because, again, Darnold wasn't making a lot this year anyway. Steve Bazil commented on our on our Facebook feed. Steve Bazil, former guest of the show, longtime fan. He said, catching up on the live stream, but I think you have to do everything possible to make Zach Wilson as comfortable as possible, put him in the best position to succeed, and I think Mullins does that for him. That's fair. I mean, like I said, I just don't – I don't disagree, but I just don't – I've never – I've always felt that the whole mentorship for a quarterback is overrated. Yeah. I don't think Zach Wilson will be successful because of Nick Mullins. I think he will be successful because of Robert Sala and Mike LaFleur and the quarterback coaches and the team around him. 
I don't think it's going to have anything to do with Nick Mullins being in his ear, trying to talk him down off the ledge for an interception or whatever. But I don't disagree either. If they sign Nick Mullins, I'd be perfectly fine with Nick Mullins. Exactly. Same. Like, because, because Nick Mullins, he knows his offense. He actually played good last year when the 49ers played him. So I would, I would not hate if the Jets signed Nick Mullins, but I also wouldn't get one, one bad an eye if they didn't sign him. Yeah. And the thing is, like I said, the whole point of the whole point of bringing drafting James Morgan, whether it was a Gase pick or not, I have no idea, nor do I really care, was the fact that he was supposed to be like the super backup, kind of like the way Jason Garrett was for years in Dallas. The guy barely saw the field, but he was just a backup. Right. And that's kind of what they envisioned when they drafted him. And the only way he's going to be that guy is if he gets reps. Right. If you don't give him reps, there's no point in keeping him on the roster if you're going to go at Nick Mullins. No, you're absolutely right. And Stephen also commented again, also Julio, who the Julio Jones trade was great for both sides. I, again, I, I have no objection with the way the Falcons handled the trade. I think that the, he didn't want to be there. They had to get rid of him. You know, a lot of people look at Joe Douglas as a genius for getting two ones and a three for Jamal, a disgruntled player who made it publicly known. And the Titans and the Falcons only got a two and a four for Julio. But again, I don't think it's a bad trade for both teams. First of all, if I'm the Colts, I'm shitting a brick right now. Oh, yeah. I'd be nervous if I was Indianapolis. Because eventually Indianapolis needs to get over that hump. Mm -hmm. And right now the Titans basically just said, yeah, we're throwing our balls right on the table here with (laughs) Julio, Derrick Henry, AJ Brown. What's up? You know, you're going to beat us, you know? And again, the Colts, in my opinion, are going to be a very overrated team going into this year. I think they have a very good offensive line. I think they have a very good defense. I don't love the offensive weapons on the outside for Carson Wentz. I don't love them. Michael Pittman is your number one receiver and T.Y. Hilton is back for another year. You still have, I think you have Zach Pascal. You have, uh, you know, I think Paris Campbell. But yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Like T.Y., he's a reliable, he's a reliable wide receiver. He always has been. I've never been his biggest fan, but he's reliable. But then again, you have an emergence of, you know, Michael. Past his prime though, dude. Yeah. He's past his prime. Past his prime, but and then you have a guy like you mentioned, Michael Pittman. He he showed flashes last year. He was definitely he definitely looked solid, but again, you don't know what he's gonna do in his sophomore year. You know, sophomore slump, you don't new quarterback, and, you don't you have no idea what's gonna happen. And the thing is, when are the Colts gonna start? Last year, Rivers was supposed to lead them to the promised land. He didn't get them out of the first round. Now you're going to Carson Wentz, a guy who comes from Philadelphia with baggage. Right. He's got baggage, man. He's got a reputation of being a bit of a prima donna from what the story's going around on whatever Eagles blogs and from beat writers and all that stuff. I think the Colts have a lot to prove this year in 2021. And I'm telling you right now, the Titans did not make it easy on them with the addition of Julio Jones, not to mention the fact that the Jaguars adding Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence is going to steal some wins for the Jaguars this year. Oh no, he, he absolutely is. And even to, you know, go back onto the Colts, Stephen Bazell, love the guy, keeps commenting on our Facebook. He said they have to be a run first team, and I absolutely agree with him. Well, you have a three, you have a three headed monster yeah. in with Jonathan Taylor, uh, Marlon Mack, and uh, in Hines. 
that that's a great running back room to have. Yeah, I agree 100. percent No, that, I think that's going to be kind of like their ground and pound type of focus, kind of the way the Ravens run their offense with Lamar Jackson, Gus Edwards, J.K. Dobbins. Um, but yeah, I totally agree. Steve, look at Steve being smart guy over here. We got to get him back on. <laughs> yeah, listen, we appreciate when he. I listen, we appreciate anybody that watches our show, comments on our feed. It's actually, you know, again. So that's how we roll. But overall, I think the Julio, the Julio Jones trade was a was a solid move by both sides. Falcons get out from under him. It doesn't drag into training camp. It doesn't drag into this. Doesn't drag into that. It was a it was a pretty solid move. Uh, apparently, uh, Cassidy is calling out the officiating of uh, seeing that's showing favoritism towards the Islanders. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. I mean, to why? Because me, because this is the first series that the uh, the Bruins had a bunch of guys in the box. Like, get out of here! Come on. Sorry, but I you can't bitch about the officiating. You know, like that to me in a playoff series, you cannot start complaining about officiating. It's a cop out. It's a cop out, in my opinion. It's just like you're you're making you're trying to deflect from the fact that your team played like shit in game in a in a crucial game five. No, yeah, because. Like you look, you if you watch the Islanders games, this was the most penalties that the Bruins took in throughout this whole series. You know, I think they had maybe four, four or five penalties, and the Islanders capitalized on all of them. Like, it, 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 I think that's why they're bitching and complaining because it's like, oh, um, the Nets officially won a hundred and twenty-five to eighty-six, Oof. smoked them. Yeah, Stephen A. Smith will be blowing them now because oh was, yeah, he was like all over them. I'm a big Nets fan. Go fuck yourself, Stephen A. Let me tell you something about this is another thing, and I meant to bring this up, and I, I should have brought it up a little while ago. But the one thing that people seem to be like really hung up on now is crowd size at games. Mm-hmm. Okay, apparently, like Nick Wright, who's a total tool on Fox Sports, he was like. He took a picture. There was like a screenshot of a, of a game one and like the Barkley Center wasn't that crowded. And he was, you know, he kind of made some kind of fucking snide comment. Let me say it like this. I don't give a shit how many people go to the game. I could honestly give a rat's ass how many people go to the Brooklyn Nets games because I don't need that to make me feel secure about the team that I like. You see, Nick fans try to play that shit a lot when they try to talk about how quickly they sold out Madison Square Garden and everything. Do you think every one of those fans in Madison Square Garden is a hardcore Knicks fan? Because I sure as hell don't think so. I think they're bandwagon fans just like Nets fans. And I'm not saying that Nets fans aren't bandwagon fans. There's plenty of them. But there are plenty of Nick bandwagon fans too. Oh, absolutely. Just like there are Laker bandwagon fans because of LeBron. I know people who just became Buccaneers fans because they love Tom Brady. Okay? But... It doesn't matter at the end of the day. I don't need that to feel secure about my team. All I want, all I care at the end of the day is if the Brooklyn Nets win, win the game. I don't give a shit how many people show up. Five people could show up and I could care less. Yep. And they're destroying the Bucs right now, which I thought was going to be really tough. Now, listen, you got two in Milwaukee. I'm sure they're going to drop at least one. It's possible they could drop two. I don't know. But right now, they're on a fucking hot streak. They are a very hot team right now. This is without Harden, too. Yeah. But this is what you expected. Yeah. But everybody's hung up on crowd size. Oh, Brooklyn Nets. Oh, it looks like the bubble and everything. I could care less. You know what? <coughs> Excuse me. 15, 17,000 people showed up for Nick games. How'd that turn out? 
Well, that was another thing. Like, you want to go back to, you know, the Knicks. They, they were making a big deal. Oh, the Knicks have a sold-out arena. Meanwhile, James Harden offering, like, buy one, get one free deals on, for, like, on his Instagram page. Like, who the, who the fuck cares? Who cares about that? Like, as long as you're winning games, it doesn't matter how many tickets you sell. Because you know why? The arenas will be packed the further, the further along you go in the playoffs. As far as I'm concerned, the further the Nets go in the playoffs with the Knicks being eliminated, I just think it's nothing but jealousy. Jealousy and insecurity. Definitely. Because that's how Nick fans roll. Their roster, listen, Thibodeau won coach of the year, well-deserved. Well-deserved. Oh, absolutely well-deserved. A thousand percent well-deserved. I mean, he really did turn the team around this year. But like I said before, the last time we talked about the Knicks last week was, it is amazing how one season makes every Nick fan forget about the shit they went through four or five years ago when it was Phil Jackson and it was Derek Fisher who had no idea how to coach a team and to David Fisdale before you finally got to Thibodeau. Okay. One season eliminates the culture for the rest of the time. And the thing is the net, the Knicks are in a very tricky spot for this off season. This is not a very good free agent class. Not that great, at least not game changers. So of course, right after Portland got eliminated, what was the big story? Oh, Damon Lillard come to the Knicks. Okay. Do you understand what it's going to cost you to get Damon Lillard to the Knicks? I saw it, I think, on SMY. They said it would cost three first-round picks, R.J. Barrett, and some combination of Obi Toppin, Emmanuel Quickly, or Mitchell Robinson. Is that really what you want to give up to get Damon Lillard? No. Especially when you've built this nucleus. Now, look, a lot of people, a lot of things I've been reading hint that Thibodeau is not going to, they have three draft picks this year. They're not going to keep all three guys that they're probably huh. going to trade. They're probably going to package them to get a player or, or whatever it is, maybe move up in the draft. I, I don't know. But you're building a young nucleus with a lot of quality talent. Mm-hmm. Why are you going to give that up now to pay Damon Lillard? And Damon Lillard is not going to be the only guy that can lead the Knicks to the, to the, to the championship. David right. and Julius Randle are not going to lead the Knicks together to a championship. Now it ultimately depends if you find that third person, if it's Kawhi, if it's um, not Kyle Lowry, if it's maybe Chris Paul, but I don't think it would be Chris Paul. I mean, right now, if I'm the Knicks, I'm building something really special here with a coach that the guys are buying into. I don't think I want to fuck that up too much for a superstar right now. Nay, yeah, I'm like I'm looking at the the free agent class right now. Yeah, Kawhi Leonard and Chris Paul are at the top of the list, but you have to pay they opt out though. They have to opt out of their deals before. Yeah. I mean, some other names that stand out: Demar Derozan, uh, Victor Oladipo, Dennis Schroeder, Evan Fournier. Uh, guys are gonna are gonna be the next to step forward. Give the Knicks. They they they're basically they're canceling out the guys you're you're letting go, and yeah, you're gonna pay them more money. Kelly Oubre Jr. is a guy that apparently they're interested in, that the Knicks are interested in. Yeah, I mean, look, Kelly Oubre Jr. is not a, not a bad player. Now, what they could do, which I could totally see happening, Lonzo Ball's a restricted free agent. They could definitely give Lonzo Ball the poison pill contract, very similar to what the Nets did when Sean Marks' first year as GM, when he tried to get Tyler Johnson and Alan Crabb. Mm-hmm. They were restricted free agents and he hit them with a poison pill contract where in the final year of that deal, the money was going to be so large 
that you didn't think the teams were going to match it and they wound up matching it. So they could play that strategy because the Knicks have a ton of cap space. I think they have like the highest amount of cap space for any team in the league. But we're so hung up on crowd size. That's the new thing now. Well, the Nets don't draw a crowd. Ha ha, you know, whatever. And what are the Knicks drawing right now? Nothing, because they got eliminated. So, and not only did they get eliminated, they got their ass kicked in the last three, in three straight games. Thanks. So, I just think it comes down to, for me, it's jealousy and jealousy and insecurity as a Knicks fan. Because the minute that they win, they want to be the Kings of New York. When they lose, they don't want to be the Kings of New York anymore. Oh, yeah. Remember when they were shouting, we want Brooklyn? Yeah, how's that going? Brooklyn just smoked Milwaukee by 30. (laughs) By 30. Okay? And you're going to fucking sit here and tell me you want to face the Brooklyn Nets? Okay. No problem. And the Nets are going to be a destination, too. That's what a lot of people don't understand. Oh, they will. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of guys who are like, you know, middle of the pack of their career that are going to take the exception to go play in Brooklyn because they want to win a championship. They want to try to win a championship. Yeah, they see. Kyrie, Durant, Harden. I wouldn't be surprised if Blake Griffin comes back next year. I mean, I could definitely see it. It's definitely it's definitely possible, especially, again, if you bring back Spencer Dinwiddie next year. Imagine how good the Nets are going to be with Spencer Dinwiddie. Not to mention the team with Landry Shamit off the bench, Bruce Brown. Um, you know, Claxton, I think, is going to be a very underrated player for, for years. I think he's going to be a really good player. They love the, the net net. The Nets love him. He's been he's been real fun, you know, and this just goes to what. What Sean Marks has been able to do in that front office, because you look at some of the superstars that the Knicks, that the Nets were able to do what what the Nets were able to do with before prior to KD, Kyrie and uh, James Harden, you know, Karis LeVert, Joe Harris, Spencer Dinwiddie, D'Angelo Russell. All these players, they were like they were basically either nothing or late, late draft picks, and they turned them. I wouldn't say all stars, but turned them into perennially good players. It's been very good for the Nets in the way they draft. And Nicholas Claxton is another one. I think he was like the thirtieth overall pick for the Nets, and I'm like, ah, who's this guy? And he's been fantastic. Yeah. So. There's that. And then uh, actually one minor wrestling note. I don't know if you saw Andrade made his uh, debut in AEW. You can speak English. That was the biggest shock to me. (laughs) So apparently a story broke on Twitter that he had been negotiating with Tony Khan and he basically wanted like full creative control of his character. Meaning he wanted to be told like he wanted to decide who he wins to and who he loses to. Oh, okay. okay. Now look, this is where AEW has to be very careful. I know AEW is enjoying some, a lot of success right now. You know, they've definitely made WWE, you know, shake a little bit. But this is exactly the type of scenario. It's deja vu from when Bischoff ran WCW into the ground. He started giving guys full control over their characters. These guys are getting paid insane amounts of money to come into, you know, the Federation. They can pretty much dictate what they wanted to do. And that's what he did with Kevin Nash. And he almost, and Kevin Nash pretty much ran roughshod with it. And pretty much that was it. Kevin Nash was the one who broke Goldberg's streak because that's what he wanted to do because he had full creative control. You're kind of seeing a little bit of deja vu with this whole thing. Now, Andrade's a good wrestler and I love him, but I don't think he's that good where he should have that kind of say. 
No wrestler should have that no, kind of they, they definitely shouldn't. And I was telling someone this the other day, and you know, I think it was just because AEW uh, got Andrade, and I was like, look, AEW, if they if they they can play this right, they can they can do it. They've they've got the talent, they've got the power, they got the money to be able to potentially take over the WWE, but they cannot make the same mistakes that no. WCW made. They Absolutely. cannot do that. You know, and I think what they're going to do is as soon as these 90 day competes are up, they're going to start purging and going after these guys. And you don't want to keep bringing in WWE's table scraps. You got to be careful with how you handle that. I know you're trying to, I know Tony, Tony Khan is a bit of a clown, to be honest. But the last thing you want to be is you don't want to be doing this with, you know, bringing in every single WWE retread and not having a place for them. You know, you got to be careful with that. There's a lot of good young talent on the on rosters and everything, but I don't know. I just – you can't let wrestlers dictate who they win to and who they lose to. Nah, yeah, and that, that, that's why you hire writers. Like, you want full creativity, what you want to be able to do with your own lines. By yeah. all means, that you should be able to do. You know, cut your own promos. Okay, fine. That's, that's perfectly fine. But a, a wrestler should never be able to – determine who wins and loses in their matches. That's it. I think that's a little bit absurd. Yeah. And I, right, I don't know. Go ahead. What's up? I was going to say, I don't know what kind of power the, the Bucks have or Cody has when it comes to doing that stuff, but I mean. Well, I also think they know that for the sake of the Federation, they're not going to dictate who they, who they win to and who they lose to. I think for the sake of the Federation to get guys over, they're also going to try to build that young group for the future. You know, right. I think that they have a they have a stake in the company, so they it doesn't matter. Like Omega, well, Omega is like the executive vice president. Cody's like one of the founders. The Bucks, I'm sure, are involved in everything. You know, and some, you know, I'm sure they have titles as part, of like you know, senior vice president or some shit like that. Right. But, um, you know, that's what was just so crazy about it, though. Was just again when you. When you start getting into that, where you're letting guys dictate who they win and lose to, you're getting desperate. And you got to be careful with how you run that. So, all right, everyone, that's going to do it for the Moffat on the Mic show for this week. A uh, special thank you to Eric and Nick from the Top Pair podcast for hanging out with us and talking some hockey. And uh, definitely check out all their shows. They're all available right now on the A1 Sports Network. Uh, you can check them on Apple Podcasts and all that stuff and uh, follow them on Twitter as well. Uh, Clem, thank you for holding it down like you normally do. Um, follow my show as always on Instagram at Moff on the Mic, on Twitter at I'm Moff and I'm on my Facebook page as well. Follow Clem in the A1 Sports Network on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, subscribe to our show courtesy of Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Like and comment and leave us a five-star review because it makes us feel oh so special to do this at the end of the day. We will be back next Monday right here on the A1 Sports Network. We will continue our way too early offseason review. We haven't done that for over a week. We are going to cover the NFC West, and uh, that will be the next one in line. And uh, we'll cover everything else. We'll be talking Yankees, Mets. Hopefully we'll be talking about an Eastern Conference final with the New York Islanders against most likely the Tampa Bay Lightning. And, um, again, a lot more to talk about. Nets, hopefully, will be moving on by then to take on whoever wins the Sixers-Hawks series. And anything else we could squeeze into the show for two hours. So again, on behalf of Clem, I am Craig. This is the Moffat on the Mic show. Wherever you are, stay safe. Enjoy the rest of the week. And we'll be back next Monday right here on the A1 Sports Network. Have a great week, everybody.